I think even more importantly, there's so much to learn out there. It's like I've been riding for well over 500,000 miles and I'm learning almost every day yeah. that I'm riding. What's up, podcast? Hey, it's Drew back with another episode of Unscripted. Uh, today I'm sitting down with my buddy, Rick Sowry. Um, he's uh, been a longtime riding friend of mine. He's basically the guy that's been responsible for getting me involved in the Iron Butt Association and uh, basically long distance riding. Uh, him and I spend quite a while talking about long distance touring. Um, him and his wife ride together. Uh, and they have a really interesting relationship on the bike. Uh, she does the navigation. He does the riding or the driving, so to speak. So the way that they split that up between one another is really fascinating. He has a, or excuse me, he recently just sold a Triumph Tiger 800 uh, that had over 100,000 miles on it. So him and I talk about what went into maintaining that bike and what, what amount of work he had to do with it. Um, he also introduced me to dual sport riding. Rick is the reason that I'm an adventure rider today. He took me down to Shawnee State Forest to go ride. So him and I talk a little bit about the Southern Ohio Adventure Loop. Uh, like I said before, stuff about the Iron Butt Association. Uh, we go into details about doing a bun burner gold, which is 1,500 miles in 24 hours. Um, he's recently been changing bikes. We talk about, uh, you know, or basically shopping for a 1,200cc adventure bike. Um, what it means to keep motorcycles for tens of thousands of miles, motorcycle vacationing, and uh, toward the end there, start talking about consideration of what it means to pick riding buddies and figure out who gets along with who and whatnot. So uh, turn up the radio in the car. If you're listening in the evening, grab a beer, get your coffee, whatever's going on, and uh, hope you enjoy the show. Right, we are live with my buddy Rick. Let me tell you, dude, this garage is looking a little empty. <laughs> it, it actually is. I got I got rid of the uh, the old steeds. Uh, two. Well, my ST thirteen hundred. Yeah. Uh, it was one hundred and ten, hundred twelve thousand, and then I got rid of the tiger. I mean, we've got a history of 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 the the with the tiger and the triumph club and stuff like that but uh uh it was it was a hard one to get rid of both of those bikes were kind of hard to get rid of well let me rewind for a second so i knew you were ready to let go of the st and i think it was because you bought the 1290 to replace it and i want to talk about that more later sure um did so you you find a friend that was ready to pick up the st or actually the st's STs are amongst the greatest bikes that you can get. The most value yeah. that you can get, I, in my opinion, right now. If if you're looking for a sport touring motorcycle that you can uh, uh, hop on and ride anywhere, uh, reliable, mm. fun to ride, uh, easily a good two-up motorer. Yeah, uh, you can pick an ST up, a low miles ST for in the neighborhood of two to three grand. Wow. Uh, uh, super low miles, four grand. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what year it is and it doesn't matter how it's configured. Uh, so if you have one yeah. that is in excess of a hundred thousand miles, no matter how it's configured, you're probably going to sit on it for a while. Yeah. 
Uh, I guess that's a good question. How long? I knew about it for what? A year and a half? Two years-ish? I probably tried to sell it for like two years. You weren't like beating the bushes, no, though. No. <laughs> I, I, I put it out there a little bit, uh, but I really love that bike, and, yeah. and we've got quite a history on it. Uh, so I didn't push real hard to sell it. You said what? 112? Is that what you said? It's my second ST1300, and both of them were in excess of 110,000 miles yeah. when and I sold them. Those are ancient motorcycles by, by population perspective. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, the design was a 2003 design. Well, I meant ancient because it had 112,000 miles on it. Like, for most people, that's unthinkable. <laughs> yeah, but if it were in the garage right now, it would be the most reliable motorcycle I have. <laughs> That's fair, right? Because do you remember what the first one you had on? How many had? How many miles did they have on it when you sold it? I had an 1100 first. It only had 60 on it when I got yeah. rid of it. The the 03 1300 yeah. had 110. Yeah. And and this one had, I believe, 112 or 114. Uh, I gotta sit uh, back. I need, I've I, got I've got friends that have 1300s right. or 1100s. Uh, Alex's. 1100 probably has 430,000 on it. Same engine? No, the 1100 is is a transverse V4. Yeah. Just 1100. No, I mean like he has the original engine with oh, yeah. 4000. Oh, yeah. 4, yeah. I think he's replaced replaced the carburetor, so that's about it. Uh, <laughs> that's insane. It 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 is. And and that that bike did the Iron Butt rally twice. Yeah. With without a mechanical difficulty. Yeah. Uh but and I know thirteen hundreds that are out there that are well over two. Kevin's is over yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, so That's it's quite the adventure bike too. <laughs> it can be. Yes. <laughs> we both saw that. As long as the gravel's not too deep. <laughs> Hashtag inside joke. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great bike. It's a heavy bike. Yeah. Uh, it's an old design, but it's got a lot of value. I mean, yeah. you can hop on hop on it, go out to the Rockies, and then uh, you know be fresh to ride. It's, it's got a 300 mile tank on it, yeah. which is hard to find these days. Extremely. Uh, it's a solid bike. I believe it's an 18 inch front tire. So that's weird now. Yeah. Yeah. It actually does surprisingly well on the gravel for is <laughs> for the behemoth that it is. That's, that's a good point. I really want to interrogate you about the Tiger, but first, I think it's only fair to the listeners if I ask you, how long have you been riding motorcycles now? And tell me a little bit about your upbringing through bikes and some of that life experience that brought you to this conversation today. Wow. I started riding, uh, I think our first bike was a, was a mini bike. Yeah. Uh, don't know what age I was, but I... It was a two and a half horsepower mini bike, yeah. and I couldn't start it. So you get dad to start it. We run it until it ran out of gas, fill it with gas, and get dad to start it again. But the, I mean, the dirt bikes back then, mm-hmm. nobody had any formal training. You get together with your buddies and you go out. And I had a TS one eighty five, I believe it was, that had everything stripped off of it. Uh, but the first, the first street bike was sixteen years old. Uh, Honda CB750, and from that point on, uh, I was 16 years old, mm-hmm. maybe 17. From that point on, I've had a street bike. CB750 was the first one. CB750K, what 1974. Year? Okay. And that was 
that was too much bike for a 16 year old back then. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's funny because in reality it probably is today, but everybody just sees those as old classics at this stage. Right. But those brakes were probably terrible back then. It, I mean, it was in its day, it yeah. was a monster, but you know, you try to compare it to anything modern and, and it, it doesn't go and it won't stop. But, uh, yeah, the 750 was a, a deal I couldn't pass up. Yeah. So, so from that point on, I've had, I've had street bikes and started traveling on street bikes, uh, pretty much right away. Yeah. I mean, my parents, my, my dad had a, had a wing back then and, and we would, we would travel with them. Yeah. Uh, mostly just Blue Ridge Parkway and, sure. and local Southern Ohio kind of stuff. Uh, so no, no trips beyond, you know, maybe 1500, 2000 mile for a week long trip. So pretty basic stuff. Just, that's just your dad's taste at the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there wasn't, there wasn't anybody else doing it. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, uh, talking the eighties. Yeah. So there weren't, there weren't a lot of people out there touring on motorcycles my my aunt and uncle uh, were touring on uh, a 500cc Honda and a 550. Yeah, and they were going out west, uh, so they were heroes. You know, they, <laughs> it's like people didn't do that back then. It was it was it was it was just cool, something to look up to. I definitely want to talk about your experience in long distance, but yeah, it, it, I can't not note. I think that in this era, we don't realize guys like me that got into it the way I have that we don't realize how good we have it with Google Maps that most folks that did long distance touring back in the day, they were just like pioneers because it really was. Yeah. There may or may not be a gas station by the time I need it. Like they just yeah. went. <laughs> You're going from a paper map. Yeah. <laughs> I remember for years, uh, Connie would tell me, she'd pap, you know, tap me on the back and, and say, hey, you got to pull over. I got to refold the map because <laughs> it would be in a Ziploc because that silly guy up front won't stop when it, when it starts raining <laughs> and, and rain is hell on paper maps. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, we'd pull over and she, she'd fold the map in a different way. So she had two, you know, two sides that she could see and, and just keep on going. Uh, in the interest of the listeners, Connie is obviously your wife. How long have you guys been two up touring? Actually, since we were dating, yeah. Uh, which 30 plus years. <laughs> it's a given for me. I never thought about it until just now. Like yeah. you, I only know you guys as that. And the way that you guys vacation together is something that everyone should be envious of and should be trying to do because it's that it's so awesome the way you describe it to me. I I've, I've got it really good. Uh, my my wife enjoys uh, motorcycling, uh, but she she enjoys it enough to want to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, not just a passenger. Uh, when we first started touring together, and uh, I had a CB seven hundred SC, a Nighthawk S. Yep. Uh, great bike, uh, but I couldn't keep up on the open road. I couldn't keep up with my dad's Goldwing. <laughs> 
so on a trip to Florida, we kind of decided, hey, we're gonna if we're gonna keep doing this, which we knew we were. Yeah. Uh, we needed to uh, change some things. Yeah. So that was the first ST eleven hundred that came along was to try to try to keep up with a wing, uh, and that did it did it rather well. Roughly, what year was that? I don't really know the that history was, of the ST. That was uh, the first STs were called ninety ones, but they came yeah. out in ninety. Yeah. Uh, so. I think we got it in September of 90. Yeah. Uh, and it, wonderful machine. Mm. Uh, but we were able we're able to start touring together, which then we figured out that she's got a problem falling asleep on the back. <laughs> I forgot about that. So then we added the intercom so that we could we could talk a little bit and, yeah. and keep up. Well, she wanted to be more involved. Uh, and I really don't like the navigation piece. A lot of people do. I was curious I know you about do. that. I didn't. I actually didn't know how you felt about it. Because you're very capable. I, I can do it. Yeah. Uh, but I'd rather not. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm spoiled. To <laughs> yes, tell you the truth, you I'm, are. I'm I am very spoiled. She's like, well, can I do the navigation thing on the back and and then just tell you which direction to go? Yeah. So, you know. She started doing that. The intercom works very well. I can focus on the road, focus on yeah. what I'm doing, and 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 not have to worry about where the next turn is. Yeah. Which uh, comms were you guys using back then? I forget the name of the brand. We started with a J&M. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, fer- the very first J&M, and I was talking with Sierra about this just the other day. Uh, the very first J&M was a music-based system. Yeah. So it's sole design or basic design was yeah. to play music uh, and it had an intercom button so if you wanted to speak to right. your partner whoever you push a button yeah. and and that way you don't have to worry about noise interference you don't have to worry about anything it's it, it was it was so nice yeah uh, I wish the systems that were out there today were <laughs> were music based <laughs> instead of intercom based uh, that's a really I mean, very accurate way to look at it, that they're technically intercoms, but people, I've said this in other podcasts, in fact, most people are by themselves most of the time. Yeah. They're mostly listening to music. And so, yeah, the the functionality is great, but there are all these functions for so much money that most people almost never use. Yeah. And and you really don't notice if you're by yourself, Mm -hmm. you don't notice uh, the other problems that come into play. Yeah. Uh, but two up together, still, you, you still have problems. So we'll have to bump in and out. It's like, I want to listen to music uninterrupted, not have to worry about noise or, or wind or anything like that. Yeah. We just bump out and then bump back in when we need to. So it, systems that are out there now are fine. Yeah. It's just not, it's like, okay, I go talk to Kevin at Sierra and say, okay, can I get this? No, you can't get that. Yeah. He's like, I know, I know. But, <laughs> You get particular. But I guess you should say that. Sierra's a shop up here, right? Yeah, it's in Troy, Ohio. Okay, Troy. And they specialize in... Motorcycle mo- audio. Motorcycle Specifically motorcycles, not yes. power sports? Wow. Well, they're getting into power sports because yeah. people are doing side-by-sides. That's what I was thinking. need audio. So there's, yeah. there's a big niche there as well. Yeah. But they were... Uh, I, they're, they're into their third generation now. Yeah. Uh, uh, running the place. It's... Uh, uh, 
really down-to-earth people uh, and honest opinions. Hey, I w- I've, I've got this, what I want to do with it. Will, yeah. it, will it do that? Uh, and, and you'll get the honest answer. They really stand behind. It's like we just got the new Senna 50s. Mm-hmm. And then last year went out on a two-week trip to the Smokies. And uh, the, first, the first two days were torrential rain. And, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and mine drowned the first day. That's a $350 headset by itself? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it partially my problem, my fault. Sure. Uh, the, it's the power plug, the charging plug I at had the a bottom feeling of this was involved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they don't seal it, well half the time. It did not seal well. Yeah. And I didn't pay enough attention to it to make sure that it was closed all the way. Yeah. So it lapped up that water. Yeah. So it, it spent the night, you know, with a with a hairdryer on it and and in uh, a bag of rice. So did it work? Uh, came back. That's good. And uh, after that, the battery suffered. My battery life was about half of what Honey's was. Took it back to Sierra. Yeah. He replaced it. Wow. No questions asked. Well, if I move north when we buy a new house, maybe I'll uh, put my application in over there. I have job experience. <laughs> He's. He's a great guy. His son is, yeah. is working there as well, and, and I see him in there a lot now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're going back. Uh, Kevin's going to a center on his. So. Yeah. But, I mean, go ahead. But back to the, back to the wife thing, she took, she took over the navigation, mm-hmm. uh, and she does all the route planning now for the trips. Yeah. So uh, give us a two second description of a trip. Cause I want to talk more about those later, but people need to understand when you say trip and when I say trip, we're not talking about the same kind of trip. <laughs> like well, what do you have planned for this year? For instance, we, this is a new year for us because we're, we're kind of semi-retired yeah. uh, this year. So we're planning on, uh, kind of, uh, switching back to the vacation schedule schedule we used to have. Yeah. Uh, so probably 15 years ago, we would go on uh, two one-week trips a year yeah. and then one two-week trip a year. Yeah. Uh, so the, the one-week trips were typically northeast, mm-hmm. like uh, up to northern the lakes in, in uh, uh, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, somewhere out west... Uh, we had, like I stated before, we had an ST. Yeah. So there's there's a there's a pretty good ST owner club mm-hmm. out there, and the rallies are STOC events. So we would go to a knee stock, northeast stock. Uh, we would go to west stock. Yeah. And then we would go to a fall stock or a stock timber but, event. So if you're going out west for two weeks, how many miles are you guys covering in two weeks? I think. I think the biggest one we did was about 8,500 miles. Yeah. <laughs> and, and normally it's in the 6,500 mile range, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's kind of cool the way Connie does it. Uh, we'll pick, if we're not directly going to a rally, or even if we are going to a rally, if, we go, <laughs> if we're going through a state that we've not been in or not right. spent enough time in, she'll get a AAA book from mm-hmm. that state. And she'll go through and check the things that she may want to see mm-hmm. and ask me and I'll, I'll check the ones I might want to see. And then she'll go on motorcycleroads.us yeah. or 
the various mapping services that are out there for, yeah. for motorcycle and, and look for motorcycle roads and then link all these places together yeah. in day routes. Yeah. So she'll ask me, okay, on these type of roads, how many miles do we want to do? And typically that's going to be three to 400 miles if you're not involved in interstates. And if you're involved in interstates, then it'll be, it'll, it'll be more than that. But this is per day. Per day, yeah. Okay. So that and, and and then we'll end up with on the GPS day routes. Uh, yeah. Plug them in. I'll have GPS on the front, and she'll have one in the back. So hers is the overall route. Yeah. Where mine, I zoom in to kind of cheat and look ahead and see how tight the next curve is. Yeah. You know, kind of give you a little little heads up, uh, that kind of thing. So that's that's pretty much how we do trips. Is she still running? the trucker GPS in the back plus her phone or how's she running that now? No, we're both running, uh, the new Garmin XTs. Okay. Uh, Have I been with you with that one yet? I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, I highly recommend the XT. Okay. It's the most, uh, it's the best screen of any GPS that we've had by far. That's saying a lot. In, 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 and we've had we've had quite a few. I mean, I've had every Zumo Garmin's made. I was gonna say you told me to hold on to that 550 as long as I could. It's almost done, but yeah. <laughs> the the only problem that we've had, and I've heard other people that are having, is uh, the sensitivity of the screen in the rain. Yeah. And I'm, by rain, I'm not talking sprinkling or anything. Right. If you get a direct hard rain, uh, we've. Garmin has replaced both of ours. Wow. No questions asked. So it's a sensitivity issue, but you cannot adjust the sensitivity of the screen. Yeah. So it, it basically thinks you're poking at it when you're hitting it with rain. And eventually loses its mind, I assume. Yeah. It, it, it just goes crazy. And, and uh, again, they replaced it straight up. No questions asked. Yeah. And we have not hit a rainstorm with the new ones. So uh, hope, hopefully it's better. We, we live in such strange times. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we're friends, right? Because I like stone axe motorcycles that are <laughs> really Rock straightforward and really simple. Yeah. Right, yeah. Because it's like, this, this has to uh, withstand my stupidity. That's important. Uh, and that's it. That old school touchscreen on that Garmin was awesome. But mine finally got flooded and I lost a lamp in it. And I'm asking myself, do I replace this? But, but I've been using just the cell phone successfully now for a couple of years. I've not made any like big, big trips. But mm-hmm. it is the rain. It, the rain introduces all these complexities to motorcycles, yeah. especially technology. <laughs> it gets so hard to manage the technology on the bike in the rain. It really does. And, and if, if you're talking about the kind of rain that we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. there's an element of stress. It was happening today. <laughs> yeah, there's an element of stress that's already there. Yeah. It's like, okay, I need to pay attention more. The water's standing. You know, yeah. if, if I'm back in the woods, there's crap on the road. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's a little bit more stress there. Well, if you, if you lose navigation on top of that. <laughs> I don't think I told you this story. Did I tell you about the iron butt I did with my dad? No, I oh knew you were God. going to, but so I didn't my, know how it went. So my dad and I did an iron butt in 2019. I think it was in June because it was a long day. Um, and I put the GPS on. I think I was primarily using the phone. And it starts raining. 
and obviously I haven't had an iron butt with any significant rain. And we're down in the southeast. We did the same route you and I did. So okay. we went 70 yeah. to 77 to 40 and then up north again. It's a it's a good scenic route. My dad will enjoy it. It was I'll, good. Very yeah, good. I'll stay entertained and not, you know, be completely bored by the experience. Um, we're down near whatever it is, Charlotte or whatever it is on the east side of 77. And it starts raining like all hell. And I think actually my GPS, did it start to take a crap? I think it waited till after it stopped raining. It started hailing. I pull over to the side of the road, like it's at a rest stop. I'm like, yeah, we gotta get off the highway. We gotta go hide under something. No sooner did I like stop, it kind of lightened up for a second. And I looked down at my my weather map on the phone. It's chasing us. (laughs) I'm like, dad, we gotta go. (laughs) Stop, go. Stop, Yeah, we all ask, you know, what we can to get out of the rain. We pull it up at a gas station or whatever it is. And it's finally starting to dry out. And that's when I looked down and I realized I can't see my GPS, it's on but the lamp had gotten fried in all, all the rain or whatever. And that was the last time that I used my 550 with like, like with intent to use it. I brought it on my trip last year just to have it in case right. I was in a real bad pinch where the cell phone wouldn't work. But I was like, I can't, I can't rely on it. It doesn't charge right anymore and this other stuff. And it's like, it's amazing what the weather does to just end technology. It, it, it is. It's really, it's really hard on it. And, and, most of the time, it's not going to see that kind of stuff. So, uh, very few people are doing what we're doing to <laughs> electronics. Actually, it's funny. I don't know if you saw this. Um, I did a big spread on dual sports recently, and the uh, AGP PR7 came up. Have you seen that before? I have not. So, for listeners that haven't been keeping up with the blog or the YouTube channel, AJP is a Portuguese motorcycle building company. They make a bespoke frame and essentially what I would call like a factory rally bike, but for us mortals. And the engine that's in it is the 600 engine out of Husky before it got bought by KTM. That's a rock solid engine. That's what I'm told. I, we had Alad on the show. Alad talked about it and I was working through the dual sport stuff and I started doing some more homework on that. If you buy an AJP PR7, uh, I'm, I'm going to say 10 grand, maybe 12 grand. So you're looking at KTM 500 EXC price range-ish, if I remember correctly. But you're looking at all of those stats plus like three gallons of gas or three and a half mm-hmm. gallons of gas. So it's like a real rally bike. Um, but it has a Google, what do you call it? Tablet? Samsung tablet or whatever it is. That's the dashboard. It's made with a tough tablet or whatever it is. Again, Al had talked about it on the show. So if folks listen to the Al right. interview, they're going to know some of that. But I like started looking into that some more. That's fascinating to me to think about what that bike's built for. There's people rallying with those. Yeah. You, you mean iron butt rallying, yeah. though. Right. right rallying. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating to think that, that people are making that work. I'm curious how that screen holds up to the rain. Because that was it. If I have my cell phone, even if my cell phone's waterproof, the touchscreen starts to be crap, even with no gloves, gloves, car plastic. I've got that that's not having the same problems. Yeah. It's... It... It really says something about the old school touchscreen on the the yeah. 550. But, it would uh, it would be nice even on the XT if you're having a problem, if you could just lock the screen. Yeah, it's like give me my navigation. Don't let me poke buttons. That's fine. Yeah, that's exactly because uh, the stock the default views are usually really good with all of the navigation yeah. apps. I mean, I remember when Rever was in its infancy and they were going back and forth and trying to figure that out and they had some issues with a couple updates or whatever but I mean they figured it out it's you're right it's just cover the screen don't put stuff on it yeah 
I don't know. Maybe you need to get a piece of Lexan. Put some. <laughs> and, and, and that's another possibility. Lock yeah. myself out. Lock lock Mother Nature out. I yeah. I know some people that were having trouble with them. Yeah. Were putting a a screen protector on them. Yeah. And and that compounded the problem. Uh, Garmin's a good company, so yeah. I, I've got a hard time believing that they they haven't figured it out. So. Uh, hopefully the new ones that we got are, are, are good to go. Yeah. Because I know, uh, as far as routing goes, yeah. Uh, she gets, she got, we had a diesel for a while because of the large screen. Yep. Uh, and we thought, okay, this is, this is the best situation. We can get it cheap. We can put it in a weatherproof bag and, and she's got this nice, that's the designed for truckers. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's pronounced diesel. It might be spelled a little bit, right. a little bit differently, but uh, basically a large, large screen GPS yeah. at a fraction of the cost of a, a Zumo, a waterproofed uh, uh, GPS. Yeah. Uh, but it has all this inherent programming, uh, thinking you're driving a truck, and it, <laughs> yeah. It won't take you where you want to go on a motorcycle. It will fight you the whole way. If you're an adventure tourer, it does not like you as a customer. <laughs> and if your wife is your navigator, you will end up with a pissed off wife. Yeah, so, ain't nobody happy now. <laughs> not at all. So uh, uh, we, we went away from that. And I, and I figured out with all the electronics that we had gathered yeah. over the years, we just did the eBay thing mm -hmm. and we were able to pay for easily for two uh two xts oh you sold the diesel on ebay and that made for i sold the diesel yeah. i sold the 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 all the other garments mm -hmm. i had a 660 i had the 550 uh i had multiple cradles because yeah. you know you can't have just one right well when you have multiple bikes the convenience of extra is well i'd profound. carry a spare with me because the yeah. cradles would rock out Which on you probably what's wrong with mine yeah <laughs> It would eventually burn off one of the power leads, yeah. uh, and eventually it would eat away at the electrode on the back of yeah. the G or on the back of the GPS. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I carried multiples of, of all that stuff just just for that, and the new XT has the best cord and cradle design of any of the ones before. That's good, and it's super cheap. You can, the cord itself has all the contacts on it. Yeah. The cradle is just for holding on and, and arranging the wire where it needs That's to good. be. So it's, it's, it's a really good design. Is it still hardwired to transfer data from the computer to the GPS? Or can you now Bluetooth from like your phone or something? You like can Wi-Fi it. Yeah. That's excellent. You can wi it or Bluetooth. That's the biggest challenge. I mean, for people that go to the rally and stuff, the, they email me and they're like, I downloaded a GPX, but I don't actually know how to get into, the, into my GPS unit and things like that. And it's, I mean, people that are into it, like, it sounds like a trivial thing, but I'm like, you don't know that stuff from the get-go. And in t today's cell phone world, it makes no sense to get an old GPS unit and plug a wire into it and do it totally old school. We haven't right. done that with most devices in, what, 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> Connie does all that stuff, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure it does it, and there's an app yeah. uh, to help facilitate the process. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's saying a lot though. Cause I think a lot of people now are carrying a, a tablet with them when they travel just because it's, they're cheap and convenient yep. to have an iPad now. Uh, and yeah. folks sit at the campsite and they're all about 
being remote and sleeping in a tent and okay with charging their tablet at the power station that happens to be next to the tent. That's the world we live in now. Love it, it or hate it, that is where we are. It is. I mean, if, if, if you're doing a two-week motorcycle trip, uh, if, you've, if you're doing any GoPro stuff, yeah. which we don't do anymore, but uh, we might get back into that. Sure. Uh, but if you're just taking pictures and you want to back those up, yeah. it's so easy to do that stuff these days. Yeah. That's funny. I, Bill DeVore was his episode went live today, so uh, <laughs> or this week, sorry, but I'm yeah, that, that guy has left more iPads in the field. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me I need to follow Bill around? Oh my God, you you do. That's a real thing. Uh, he helped me shoot drone video for one of the rally videos, and he set it down inside the covered bridge, and we rode away, and it was gone when we got back. Yeah, oh, man. I was like, wow, that's. That's profound. It's unfortunate, but yes, I forget how that happened. So, you guys did the ST thing. You guys tour and go out west and all that stuff. At what point did bike number two was the Tiger bike number two that came into the picture for you, or how did that shake out? Because obviously Connie also rode during this time. I think I don't know. Yeah, let me try to shake that out. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, so I know. I know we were into probably between the first and second STs. Okay. Uh, so we were doing, you know, f- really four major trips at least a week long yeah. every year. Uh, Kanye decided she wanted to start riding. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up going through that process uh, of her taking the rider education stuff mm-hmm. and then and then uh, us basically working on uh, uh, bumping up our skills from there yeah and and got her uh, uh, a nice SV650 and she and she really loved it well eventually she switched to an SVS with ABS oh okay uh, I don't so know the, that model as well the the original uh-huh. SV was a naked yeah. Uh, uh, super nice looking bike. SVS is that half fairing? Yes. Yeah, I like uh, that. That is it. That, that, that's one over there okay. in SVS. It's got the half fairing at the top. Kind of looks like a bandit. Well, yeah, it reminds me of, of uh, the phaser. The F, it resembles yes. the FZ1 in yeah. many ways. Yeah. Uh, she bought the lower fairings for it. So it's got a full, it looks like a full yeah. fairing on it. Uh, and we decked it out for sport touring, saddlebags yeah. and, and the heated gear and all that kind of stuff. And, and and she started riding daily back and forth to work. Uh, she wasn't interested in riding on trips. Yeah, I think we got her to uh, uh, Southern Ohio once. Yeah, but that was about as far as she wanted to ride on on the bigger trips. She wanted to be on the back. Yeah, which was which was cool. Uh, so her bike, th- this one, I think she put about five on the first one, and this one's got forty on it. So yeah, she were she were quite a bit. Forty thousand. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's, it, she's a really good rider. Yeah. Uh, but at the, say, probably 2012, after I got uh, the last ST, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted a different, I wanted to keep the miles off the ST because that's yeah. the, the expensive bike. So I figured I'd get something smaller and lighter and run it back and forth to work. Yeah. I had quite a bit of, uh, quite a long commute for the last uh, 11 or 12 years. It was what, 65 miles one way? It it was 60, 67 miles 
to work and then I go back roads on the way home. Right. And it was only 50 miles back roads, <laughs> but it took an it took an extra half hour. So interstate to work at 4 a.m. What's your happiness worth? That's really the exact, question. It's a, that is the exact question. It's it's like okay, I can I can bypass the nonsense at 4 a.m. But coming home, yeah. you're going right through the nonsense, which we both know is Dayton. Yes. Uh, uh, so I go the back roads, and there's plenty of stops, and it takes longer. But I'm yeah. sane when I get home. Uh, but I wanted I wanted something to uh, uh, help me through those miles. Yeah. Uh, keep a smile on my face, uh, but you know, not burn up my ST. Right. So that's where you know the the 800 Tiger came in. So how did you land on that being a Honda guy for so long? Nobody else made it anything that that I wanted at the time. Yeah, there was no Africa Twin back then. No, not at all. Uh, this that would have been an interesting play, I might add. No, if 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 they made if Honda made anything that was even close to what I wanted. Yeah, I was Honda guy, tried and true, and and I, I would have been on a Honda. Why didn't you look at the NC seven fifty X or seven hundred X? Not enough juice. They, it didn't come around. It wasn't around in two thousand twelve. Really. Not, not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, huh. Plus, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking at the stats. I'm looking at the weight, yeah. and and trying to be realistic about it. Uh, Honda wasn't playing in. No. And and really still isn't playing in performance in my view. They're they're in the rock solid reliability category. Yeah. Uh, which is where I need to be. Yeah. But maybe not where I want to be. Uh, so, any anyway, the 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 tiger kind of rang all the bells, and I'd I'd ridden quite a few bikes at the time, and and it I I could get one. Yeah. Uh, the only the only caveat, the only worry I had was, can I put miles on it? Uh, and will it be reliable? Well, the first question I still have to ask before that, though, is you picked 21-inch front wheel. You got a Tiger XC. I did. So being a sport touring guy, what led you to choose the XC? I wanted to play in the gravel. <laughs> Which is obviously how we became friends. <laughs> but it, I was curious about that. Like, that was a conscious, like, you wanted to get back to doing a little light off-road. And I'm assuming I did. you had seen videos of who knows who. And Well, it was... It was something that I did in the past. I yeah. used to ride dirt bikes years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, nothing serious, but but I wanted something that I could take off road somewhat. Yeah. Uh, but still, it would handle. It would go back and forth to work. It would mm-hmm. handle that you know 115 20 miles a day. Yeah. Uh, fairly well, but you know I could put it on fire roads and and have a blast. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of narrowed. Uh, what I was looking at. You said 2012, right? Yeah. That's a. Is that was a first generation, first year of that machine? Yeah. Yeah. It's the very, yeah. very beginning of the Tiger. It, it was. Uh, and I rode the roadie. Yeah. Uh, and if I was just doing pavement, easily would have been the right choice. Yeah. Uh, but I really like that 21 inch front wheel and yeah. the way it feels, uh, uh, especially. Especially in the loose stuff. Yeah. But uh, that, I got that in 2012 and then started doing weekend stents down in Shawnee. Yeah. Uh, 
And then some guy from the Triumph Club is like, you know, are you having fun down there? What are you doing down there? <laughs> That's funny. That's a place I've not seen in some time, and I miss it. And now they have the uh, Southern Ohio Adventure Loop. There's sections you and I have never seen before that are down there. I've seen photographs. They're gorgeous. I, I need to start getting back down there. It's, um, it's very reminiscent of um, Stewart Hollow, from what I understand. The photographs okay. I've seen, I'm like, those, those are some pretty hard sections. I'm looking forward to seeing those. There's not a lot, obviously, because I looked at the mileage. I'm like, this is very close to the route that I got from you. Um, but there's stuff that we've not done yet. So it's, it's exciting to see how much of it is different. It's like just adjacent to the stuff that we've done. And there's new stuff to the north we've never seen. And that's so, believable. I mean, yeah. realistically, the the route we were doing uh, ended up ended up being a really long day. <laughs> that was so weird to me because I got so used to doing it with you. And again, you're a long distance guy, and that was my thing. And so we would go do that. But then when I started taking other people to do it, I was like trying to figure out how to start chopping time out of it. I'm right. like, y'all, we're coming from the north. Like All the best roll. stuff is in the south. There's no way for us to cut <laughs> yeah. time out of this from where we're at right now. Everything. Yeah, you've got four hours of yeah getting to Hillsboro and back. Yeah, basically. Uh, uh, for me anyway, and yeah. and and then you've got you know the rest of your day to play. Yeah. Uh, and we cover some ground down there. You 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 got to be rolling. You know. I think it was most of the day. I'm pretty sure it's a 350 mile day for me from Moraine, if I remember correctly. When that I sounds right. In yeah. South Dayton, I think it was 350 miles. Because I was well, I was well over 400. Yeah. And realistically, what is maybe 100, 150 of that gravel? I believe it's 180 miles of mixed. Okay. I believe from Hillsboro to Hillsboro, because you go to Hillsboro, we go down almost into Portsmouth to get gas, and then come back up. And the second half, I believe, is longer than the front half yes. by a little bit. So I think it's like 80 or 90 miles on the front and roughly the same on the back. I think it's 180 miles. And the sole, I think, is 200-ish, 250-ish total. They've added it. Like I said, there's a good mm -hmm. section to the northeast of Hillsboro that I've never seen that's northeast. got some really good stuff on it. So, like I said, I saw photos. I'm like, well, I've never seen that. I've never seen that. And somebody set up a uh, geocache on it. Oh, so yeah. there are there are South, oh, South Southern Ohio Adventure Loop stickers in a geocache on the route. So if you want a sticker, you have to go ride it. And That's cool. It look it is very cool. Like and I'm like, huh? I need to integrate this to my rally somehow. I'm about to figure that out. I better TikTok. I better get started on that right now. <laughs> That's a good idea. It's a really good idea. That yeah, everybody gets a sticker this year for this, but only certain people that go find go find this thing go get to see well the that. routes that you know you can make it pretty hard to get to see. <laughs> you haven't even seen the scary stuff yet no. <laughs> well, i uh, i may race the scrambler this year i'm getting it she's going on a diet i i told you about the suspension that i did during mm -hmm. covid um but kxcr obviously everybody who's listening now who's been listening lately is like oh my god will he shut up about this uh they're doing an adventure class this year Anything 600 cc's and up can race in the adventure class. That's cool. So it's an hour on the youth course that adventure bikes can race. And I'm like, I put that new suspension on there. I've got pivot pegs on it now, some real nice, good, hard, serrated pegs. I got brand new uh, bars on it. And I'm like, 
there's a couple of things I've been wanting to do for a long time. So I just pulled the trigger on $12 for a front sprocket cover that I might take to the shop at work. And it's a, it's a rusted, nasty one that came off somebody's thruxton or something, but yeah. it fits my bike. So I'm going to cut it so that it's open so the mud can come out because that was always the mm -hmm. issue with the sprocket covers on it. I'm chopping the rear fender. I may spend 70 bucks and get carbon fiber and fabricate my own rear fender on it. And I told Bill... Uh, that if I if I race that this year, I may actually submit it to Garage Brood next season. Uh, if it does the race and I don't kill it, then uh, <laughs> I'm gonna put it in the show if they'll, if they'll accept it. That'll so be we'll interesting. Because that's what I'm hoping is that I'm gonna have some real, I haven't done a lot of crazy stuff with it, but it'll be real handcrafted, functional like stuff because it's been a, it's been a sport touring bike. It's been an iron butt bike. It's been a race bike. It's been an off-road bike. Like, it's, I want to do an iron butt <laughs> and a KXCR on the same bike. Yeah, that's that'll be the, the jam. So, um, why didn't you look at? Did you look at the BMW 800 at the time? Because that was out when you looked at the Tiger. <clears throat> the 800, I believe, was out, and I I really think the Tiger was fashioned after it. Oh yeah. Uh, but money wise. Uh, and I, I believe it was uh, the dealership problem at the time. Yeah. Because there was no BMW dealership in our area. You were going to Columbus or Indy, I think. Columbus closed and Indianapolis closed. And Cincinnati had been closed for a while. Yeah. So all this of those in 2012 yeah. or the time frame that I bought were either unreliable or not open at all. Yeah. So... I would have had no dealership support. Yeah. It, and we're in a different place today. Like, I'm at the point now where I'm pretty comfortable, especially with the bikes I have. I can use the internet. I can call yep. dealerships and have stuff shipped to me. That's not where we were. Right. Ten years ago. Literally yep. ten years ago. That's not where we were. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I planned on buying it new. And I usually uh, I usually nurse it through the, the break-in period. Yeah and try to do while under warranty, uh, let qualified personnel right. uh, touch the bike. Uh, so that way, you know, when I put 100,000 miles on it, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that it's at least going to be done right up front. Well, I know it's going to be done right if I do it, but if under warranty, uh, I didn't want them to have any caveats or outs saying... Cool. Oh, well, we didn't see it during warranty, so, you know. Well, not only that, but, like, you and your buddies are making bank on warranty work because you ride the shit out of a bike. That, and that, I mean, that's been my advice to people, that it's like, if you buy a brand new bike and you want to put 1,000 miles on it and your warranty expires, like, it's hard to get mad that something went bad on it. If you ride the shit out of it... You yep. deal with what we deal with. That resale value is nil, um, but, but you know for a fact that that motor is going to hold together because you went, you know, you tore through it when, oh, yeah. when it was still their problem to fix it. <laughs> well, and that was that was the big push for the STs back in the day. Oh yeah, uh, the STs. I know the 1300s. I'm, I'm not sure about the 11. They had a three-year unlimited mile warranty, which was the same as the Goldwing of the day. Yeah, and then you could buy a four-year extended warranty. So seven years, wait for it to go on sale. And for $350, you've got a seven year unlimited mile warranty. Holy crap. So I think Kevin had, 
150,000 miles on his while it was still under warranty when the, yeah. when the alternator went out in Colorado. And I think when we picked it up at the dealership, his bill was like $11 for some <laughs> wiring or something that, and, and they, they, they really stood behind the warranty. So, yeah. uh, it's hard to find that these days. Yeah. Anything more than a like two year, 36,000 mile warranty. That's a good question. Uh, I'm curious because we have the Honda Museum up here. And from what I understand, the Goldwing used to be built here, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like the Goldwing was actually made here in Ohio, I think. Yeah. Um, if not, it was definitely in the U.S. Do you remember the Honda Homecoming? Uh-uh. It was a yearly rally. Uh, and it was kind of centered in the Bell Fountain area. Yeah, this uh, is way beyond me. Go ahead. But... It was back in the days when we were ST. Yeah. Uh, before they before they stopped doing it, but uh, the Anna facility, engine making facility. Yeah. Was was car engines, but it was open. Yeah. To to the rally people, uh, Bell Fountain. I think they used the fairgrounds there for for uh, uh, for all the people to bring in sure. stuff to sell. Uh, and let me see the Marysville yeah. was, was the plant that they were making the bikes. That makes sense. Uh, they were making wings there. They were making four wheelers yeah. there. What, uh, I said that because I'm curious if the ST engine was built in Japan, was Japan. it built here? Okay. Yeah. Is that, that's a, a testament to say seven year unlimited mile warranty on an engine. That's huge. The whole bike mind-blowing in my yeah. world the, the the whole bike i mean yeah. it you know except for wheel bearings and, i was i was curious and, about and, that and, and 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 tires and that yeah. kind of stuff I, everything was covered yeah that's i had a shift crazy. to return spring break in southern california and uh so the 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 shifter basically would just stay down uh so we put a bungee cord on it and, on the st yeah yeah Put a bungee cord on it and rode it, you know, for the rest of that season because I would have the yearly maintenance done at Kevin's shop in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, took it in and they had to pull the engine and, and, and break the case open to get to that spring, which was internal, of course. Yeah. Uh, Zero dollars. Free. Dude, that's wild. What's with you and shifter springs? That's a good question. Right. <laughs> so we got to tell the tiger story anyway, because I'm like, you had, I mean, I, I kind of regret not seeing it leave. I'm not going to lie. Because that, that, I got a picture. That, it was, uh, <laughs> that tiger special. So that tiger had how many miles on it when you finally handed it over? 114 something. You didn't slow down on that bike until it was 90 plus, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I started to put it in the woods. At, at, you know, 90, 95,000, I started taking some stuff off of it and, and actually, yeah. you know, putting it in mud. So it was a 500-pound dirt bike. We had a good time with that on Fincastle Road. If, if listeners don't know where Fincastle Road is, I'll, uh, I'll try to tag some photos in the comments. <laughs> you look at the official mileage. Yeah. 14,256. So it had 14, 114 on it. 114,000 miles on a Triumph Tiger 800. So walk me through 
what did you have to fix on that bike in 114,000 miles? Um, amazingly little. Uh, and and let's let's kind of qualify this. Sure. You know how I ran that bike. <laughs> That's for listeners don't realize that Rick is responsible for me being the off-road rider I am today. That's a fact. I was not riding off-road. You brought me to Shawnee. I'm not responsible for the writer you become by any means. I, I, I might be responsible for introducing you to the, gra- to the gravel back roads. You, you handed me the free drugs, and I took them. <laughs> At that point, I needed uh, frequent visits to my dealer. <laughs> that, was, that was an impressive day, by the way, because I, I threw you in deep. Uh, the the first so we're we're what two hours from home Hillsburg oh yeah we hit the first gravel road and and I cook I'm I'm yeah. I'm gone and and I turn around and and you to 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 what you said didn't have very much gravel experience no you were. You were like right there. <laughs> I felt like I was miles behind you for, for certain. There's no question about that. Um, and I didn't know anything about tire pressure or anything like that. But it is funny now looking at the shoe on the other foot and introducing new people to it and dirt bikes and some other stuff. I was like, I'm lucky that I wasn't laying on the side of the trail somewhere because I had no idea what I was doing. It was, it was, a, it was a big day. Yeah, and, and it wasn't. You got thrown into my regular Saturday yeah. ride, which yeah. was this, you know, ten to eleven hour ride that we had been talking yeah. about, and and uh, this was your first time on gravel. And yeah. I, I don't think we ended up doing the whole thing. We kind of cut out a little early. We did have to cut the tail off the end there. I, I think it was before we got into oh, what's the name of that hogs something whatever it is. Yeah, it's one of my favorite sections. But yeah, I think we cut that that first time. That, that was a good day. Yeah, uh, but we were talking about uh, maintenance issues with uh, with the tiger. Uh, I had a shifter return spring that broke. Uh, that was what do they call it? A, a recall. There oh were, yeah. There were problems with the springs. I didn't know that on on that series. So uh, I pulled it apart, and Triumph gave me the part, and then threw it back in, and uh, didn't have any more trouble with the mm. spring. But along about 90,000 miles, the ear on the shifter shaft broke off. Huh. Uh, And if I remember right, I had to replace the whole thing. You found the piece laying in the oil pan too? I believe so, yeah. I had to pull pull it all the way apart to get... But you didn't split cases to do that. No. You just took a side cover off. Just took a side cover off. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, and and while I was in there, the uh, the oil pump uh, uh, chain was a little loose, so I went ahead and replaced it. Yeah, um, I knew I was going to keep it. Uh, realistically, besides regular maintenance items, wheel bearings, uh, you know, chains and sprockets, a shitload of tires. <laughs> yeah, although those battle wings, you rode those battle wings almost the whole life of that bike. Right, that was like the only tire you ever put on that thing. Well, it was hard to go away from a battle yeah. wing. I could get the way I ride. I could still get eight to ten thousand miles out yeah. of a rear tire, and twelve plus out of a front. And <laughs> yeah, 
and in hard rain, it stuck well. Yeah. It's, uh, so it was, it was a good tire. That's a really good testament to it. I was never a fan of the trail wings that came on the Scrambler. They were unremarkable, not great tires. They weren't bad, but they were just unremarkable. I, was, I mean, to me, it was like that or a Shinko 705, and it's like, for less money, I get equal tire. There's no reason to do that. But it is funny. You ran those battle wings, and you ran those hide house and generally hated them from what I could take it. That's the only tires I knew. Oh, wait, you ran the Carew 3s at one point. Yeah. Yeah, which I love, but I bet they weren't cheap on that Tiger. The they front weren't was. cheap. But they were a good tire. Yeah. Uh, uh, as long as as long as you wanted to go straight, they were they were they were good. Well, yeah. on the on the road in the rain, they stuck really well. It's mind blowing. They they should not no. hold as well as they do. That's what I told everybody. I was like, you don't understand. I can ride on pavement like a complete moron yeah. on these tires, and they do not care. As and long I as saw it's not him raining. do it. Yeah, <laughs> And then Bill Devore lent me his uh, knobby knife. And I'm like, ooh, I could re-sipe Carew 3s now and not... Because that's what sucks. Is when, they, when you finally wear oh, through yeah. that sipe until they're solid block on the back, they're useless in the rain. But now that I can re-sipe them, you can get it's back. on. <laughs> like brand new. Yeah, it's, I'm looking at doing rims for the Scrambler. I'm looking to get XL rims. It's going to uh-huh. be pricey, but it's a 1000 bucks. But I'm like... You actually, that's funny. The dent in that rim came from riding with you. I remember that. <laughs> it's still in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, those those old steel rims are really heavy and need to go. So I may do that. But that's it. I'm hard, having a hard time going away from 1917 because the tire choices are so good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw a guy who put 2118 on the scrambler and they fit. And I'm like, that's awesome. But the the road choice, the, the choice in road tires is not very, they exist, yeah. but they're really expensive or it's not exactly what I would like and some other stuff. I'm like, man, with 1917, I can get almost anything I want. Or I've also debated doing the KLR thing and putting a 21 on the front and keeping the 17 on the back, but it's, I don't know, we'll see. How many miles were on that bike when you did the Bun Burner 1500 or the BBG? I believe it only had maybe 60,000 on it then. Yeah. So for listeners that don't know, my buddy Rick here is also responsible for getting me into the long distance riding community. <laughs> and so Rick did... Had influence all the way around. Yeah. Describe what goes into doing a bun burner gold for folks that aren't familiar. It's, it's listed as one of their extreme rides. Yeah. So you, you need to have a qualifier. I didn't know that. So you, you can't get a certification on an extreme ride without first having like a saddle sore or the introductory. Yeah. So you, you, you would have to do uh, a saddle sore 1000. We're talking about the Iron Butt Association for, for folks. That... For, for certification. Yeah. Uh, so you would have to do the 1,000 miles yeah. within 24 hours and get that certification. If, you were, if you're interested in being certified yeah. and want to do a BBG butt burner gold, uh, the butt burner gold is 1,500 miles yeah. inside of 24 hours. So uh, we, me and Connie have been riding a lot yeah. back then. So the saddle sore really wasn't that big a deal for us. We just did it on the back end of a, uh, a ride. And I think we, we tried to do it at a, at a BBG pace. So we, yeah. 
I think we ended up coming in like at 16 hours or something. It was like 1,250 miles or something, Uh, which, like I said, we were riding a lot back then. Yeah. Uh, And I and I wanted to do the 1,500 mile thing just to see, you know, personal goal kind of thing. Uh, But I had the Tiger then. Yeah. And the ST was kind of like, of course, the easy choice with a 300 mile tank, you know. (laughs) Right. And it. And it rides like a gold wing, you right. know, and, uh, yeah, you can go as fast as you want, as long as you want. Yep. Uh, but I kept seeing this, you know, Triumph sitting in the, in the garage and I'm like, okay, that might be a challenge. Yeah. So I, I, you, you come up with a rough route. Uh, there was a, there was a huge mistake that I made in my route. Connie wasn't really interested in going with me on this, so <laughs> the plan was my own. Yeah. <clears throat> and I figured 200-mile gas stops. I had uh, put a bigger sprocket on the front of the Tiger back then because yeah. I'd been riding it on the street and wanted to get a little bit better mileage and yeah. kick the RPMs down a little bit, uh, hopefully save the motor. Uh, so I figured 200-mile gas stops, which going back to for- back and forth to work, uh, at the pace that I planned on being, you know, <laughs> in, uh, it worked fine. Yeah. Uh, come to figure out, you know, 200 miles wasn't, wasn't doable at the pace that I needed yeah. to be for the, for the BBG. So, uh, I ended up, I carried gas with me Yeah. and I ran out twice, but the first time I rolled into the gas station and the second time I just had to put a little gas in. So, you know. I was I was prepared for it, but it just added a little stress. Well, it also sucks because if you have to stop on the side of the road and fill up, then you have two extra stops because now you also have to fill up the exactly. whatever filler tank you brought with you yep. and the and tank the, on the bike yeah. and hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> yeah, and it 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 basically just I I think there was nine or ten gas stops. Yeah, uh, just because of my my range wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, but I still made it in like 24 hours, or I, I made it in 23 hours and a couple of minutes. Um, so 10, 10 gas stops, you got to log all of it, you got all the receipts for that stuff. 23 hours and some change, is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. I, I brought up the BBG thing, because I feel like you thought that that was the turning point where you started to notice that the Tiger was burning oil. And I think that's the only real, I'll call it serious issue. All those other issues are serious, but when you look at the context of 100,000 miles, I don't consider them very serious. Right. And, and the burning oil thing is might be, a, I wouldn't call it a deal breaker, but that's a concern for some people. Still, when I got rid of it at 114,000 miles, it would not use a quart in between changes. Yeah. So, but I mean, I call it out because I don't have motorcycles that use oil. Yeah. Even though even though I put a lot of miles on bikes, uh, so it was a, it was a standout there, and I I kind of attest it to that twenty four hours. Yeah, it's I mean that's the roughest thing that bike saw in yeah. its lifetime was basically being at six thousand RPMs mm-hmm. for twenty three hours. The Tiger Red Line at nine or ten. Or is it higher than that? That's a good question. I believe it was a little bit higher, like like nine seven five. Or... Yeah, the scrambler was eight, and I knew it was higher than that, but it wasn't super high. It's definitely 
it was geared to be a torquey engine, not a peaky engine. It it really came alive at oh, yeah. four thousand RPM. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the if the if the red line was was ten or even a little bit above. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a high rever. Somebody's screaming at their at their phone right now. You guys are idiots. <laughs> so the tiger starts to get a little long in the tooth. You're a little worried about the ST. And to me, I feel like you made some some life changes in the motorcycle world after that. Because <laughs> I remember you shopping bikes. So tell tell us about like the process that you're going through. Because you're what you and Connie do together, in my opinion, is very rare. Lots of people want to be that, but because your two personalities mesh the way that they do with one's a navigator, one can do it but doesn't care, the other one doesn't want to ride but enjoys to navigate, like that's a cool thing. So you have more considerations that other people can appreciate. The the meshing was was not working well with our next bike choice. <laughs> Put it that way. Connie uh Kind of well, really loved the STs. Okay, uh, they worked. They worked really well for what we were doing. Uh, I got enough miles on the Tiger, mm-hmm. and uh, the adventure touring. Uh, so the the things I really like about an adventure tour bike is the 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 seating position is is awesome. Uh, you're sitting up like you are on a dirt bike. Uh, your back is not bent. You don't. You don't really have any weight on your hands like a sport touring motorcycle does. Uh, it just your your feet directly underneath you. Uh, so it, it's kind of nice. You see a bump on the road. You know yeah. you're you're going to hit that rock that's going to bend your wheel. That's still bent, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you can lift your ass off the seat really easily. Yeah. Uh, so that for many reasons I wanted to stick with an adventure tour setup. Yeah. Uh, but I still wanted to do the distance thing. Yeah. So I wanted a little bit more suspension. I still wanted the 300 mile range. Uh, I wanted the upright seating position. I wasn't really worried about as much about the wind protection. Uh, I knew I'd be losing a lot there. It's like my, my distance riding buddies, uh, we're not liking me digging on the ST or, or everybody was going, going to the FJR at the time. Is that right? Uh, the, the ST was long the tooth yeah. and they weren't making any updates on it. Uh, well, the FJR, I think, was becoming a better bike. Yeah. Uh, so everybody yeah, was kind of going feet. that way. Yeah. yeah. It, they were doing updates. They were getting rid of the heat problems. They were, you know, they were adding the the, the better suspension, mm. uh, just stuff that they, they weren't changing anything but the color on the ST. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of Honda going that way. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Why should we change it? Yeah. And and realistically, uh, I was thinking about BMW. I was thinking about I I had watched the KTM for a while. Uh, and there were so many good things about the KTM in that, uh, the, the 1290 super adventure, uh, when it was released in 15 had all the bells and whistles. It had cruise control. Mm. It had, uh, active suspension. It had, uh, heated seats. It had, you know, 
everything had the crash bars already on it. It had the saddlebags that came with it. I didn't know any of that. Uh, and all that stuff is if you're looking to outfit an, uh, an adventure bike, those are, I mean, right. those are big dollars that you're adding. I mean, I tell lots of people, heated grips is almost always the first thing. If it's not a dirt bike, it gets heated grips full stop. So, yeah, exactly. I'm not boxes. getting a bike without heated grips. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you're looking, if you're looking at a GS, which basically I had it narrowed down to the Super Adventure and a GS. Well, which bikes did you disqualify though and why? Good question. Uh, at the time, Tiger had the Explorer, mm -hmm. but I'm looking, so my qualifications are, this is a two up trip bike. This is, this is going out West a bunch of times with the wife fully loaded. 5,000 miles a year, given. As in one 5,000 mile one, trip a year. Yeah. Given. That was a given. One trip a year, yeah. at least 5,000 miles. Yes. Uh, and, and realistically, the distance between here and the Rockies is is why I, I feel I needed a bigger bike. Yeah. Because uh, once you get out there, you want a smaller bike. But, you know, if you're it's doing... It's 1,300 miles. If you're doing 90 <laughs> mile an hour, you know, for 750 miles uh, on the interstate, two uploaded. Right. Uh, that's... You know, that's going to make a Tiger use oil. Yeah, 800 it, Tiger use oil. But it's, it's a thousand miles from here to Denver-ish or, or yep. Colorado Springs or yep. whatever you want. It's a long way. Yeah, you're talking at least 1,500 miles before uh, mountains. I can be at a beach faster than I can be at the Rocky Mountains. That is a unequivocal fact from Southwest Ohio. I can be in Florida <laughs> at a beach. Yeah, but once you do that, once you go west and, and hit the Rockies and yeah. figure out that it's not really that difficult to get there, <laughs> you're going to do it again. As long as you can blink through Kansas, you're good, right? <laughs> or Nebraska. <laughs> and it, I, I'd much rather go through Kansas. That's than what I'm told. Yeah. Uh, the first half of Kansas, at least a third of Kansas, rolling hills, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but then it flattens out and looks like this side of Colorado, yeah. uh, which is flat, windy. Nebraska's all windy. Uh, but... You know, looking at looking at the bikes that would do this, uh, the Tiger Explorer was a nice bike. Uh, Honda made the Cross Tour yeah, at that time. V VFR twelve hundred X, if I remember correctly. Exactly. I just saw one for sale and I eyeballed it because I know what you've said about the VFR <laughs> or the the, the V four engine and how good yep. it is. Because it's the, it's the ST's engine, right? It shaft drive. It is, but it's not transverse. So it's it's actually a different engine. That's they had an F model that they first came out with, which was supposed to be the next gen ST or huh. what we thought was going to be. I didn't be. know that, but I think they did it wrong completely. Yeah, I got to ride one up in Canada at a at a, at a demo day, and me and Connie had such high hopes for mm. that motor uh, and the whole the whole bike, but it was just such an aggressive seating position, yeah. no gas tank, and it was the it was supposed to be the new VFR 800. Yeah. Uh, and it, I, I just think they hit the, missed the mark. Uh, but then they came back and, and retuned the motor and put it in this cross tour. Uh, and we got to ride, we got to ride the cross tour 
manual and the the, the that's right the, the DVT. I forgot that they made the the DCT dual DCT, clutch technology. Yeah. yeah, I forgot they made that in DCT because I was just, I had an episode that we were talking about all Honda and all the DCTs and if you want an automatic Honda makes one like yeah that's a real thing. Yeah, and it's it's done very well. Yeah, uh, at least the 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 short ride that we had on it was was nice. Uh, we got to ride the Tiger. Mm. Uh, this was at an, one of the AIM yeah. events. You're talking about the 1200. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The the Explorer we got to ride the day before at the dealership, mm-hmm. and then uh, the BMWs, all the variants. Uh, the RT 1200 GS. Yeah. The they had a rally. They had a. You mean G, it was? Is it GSA? Yeah. They had a GSA. The Adventure. Oh, okay. Uh, the GSA was the the big tank. Yeah. Uh, the bike. water buffalo in the fre- flesh. Good God, that thing's enormous. Well, it had it had an eight gallon tank on it, so it was the only thing that was competing against the Super Adventure as right. far as a three hundred mile tank. Yeah. Uh, there were only the two bikes out there at the time that had, a, you know, a three hundred mile range, yeah. so to speak. Uh, so we got the we got the ride. Uh, all the bikes that we were thinking about in the same weekend, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really liked the GSs. We really liked the BMWs. And and we, we could not ride the Super Adventure. Uh, KTM still, in my opinion, mm-hmm. doesn't know how to do... Uh, uh, doesn't know how to do road bikes. They don't... <laughs> <laughs> they they do their own thing as far as demos go, yeah. Which is an awesome way to do it. Yeah. But they go to events and they do the off road stuff. They they really don't do demo stuff unless they've changed in the last couple of years at at road events. They've got a nice stable of street bikes now. Yeah. They need to put them against the competition at like an aim event where yeah. you've got all the manufacturers there and and. People can go ride theirs and go ride the other one, the competitors on the same in the same day. In my opinion, it's a at least locally, I there is an issue with it. J- Jensen Beeler from Asphalt and Rubber uh, on Brap Talk podcast has said it like KTM is a dirt bike brand with a street bike problem. Exactly, they, they, it's really unfortunate. And locally, um, I love KRW. You love Kirk KRW. Yep. They're awesome, but there's no question that's a dirt bike shop. It is. They have they have those bikes. Kirk is amazing, but there's no question that the culture of the customer and to some degree the other people that work there, I don't think they understand you and me. They don't. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they they understand part of you. Yes, they do. The off road part. <laughs> yeah, but and, they don't get why. Why would you want an eight ninety adventure? Why would you want? You know, I, I was talking to him about wanting to race a KLX 300. He's like, what are you doing just by wow. a dirt bike? I'm like, you don't understand. I want to ride to the race. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? That's fun to me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they. I would love to go work at a dealership. If, if the wife could be taken care of and I could start my career over, I would walk into Kirk's shop and go, dude, I will sell these adventure bikes. These are my people. We can do this. And and you would do incredibly well at it. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I, 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 believe, I believe you would. Uh, it was it was just difficult. We were we rode everything and Connie was all in on the BMW. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, no, we need to ride the KTM first. Mm. So 
we finagled and talked for a while and supposedly there was an event in Kentucky that, <laughs> that they were going to let us ride uh, a super adventure. Oh, okay. I thought you were something else. Okay. And, and so we rode, we, we hopped on the ST one morning and we rode down to this event. I don't know how far it was, you know, three yeah. hours away, something like that. And uh, we get there and uh, they wouldn't let us ride the Super Adventure 2 up. I forgot about this. Yeah. And, and this was this is going to be my 2 up bike. This is know. KTM or this is some other? No, it was KTM. So KTM's holding a demo event. And it's one person, no passengers. Yep. yep. Wow. You can ride any bike you want, as long as you got a license, but only one up. And I can understand that if you're trying to ride, you know, a 350 yeah. or, or something like that. But, I mean, you've got a 1290 Super Adventure <laughs> with full luggage on it. It's the target customer. That, That's why there's a passenger seat. <laughs> exactly, and and it's like this this bike screams passenger. Yeah, and and you're you're not going to let you know. And I pull up on a, an ST thirteen hundred with a hundred thousand miles on it. Right. Uh, so I'm not you know some rookie off the off the street that's never seen. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that turned us off on KTM for a while. But KTM yeah. ended up bending over backwards. Uh, once when they heard about what happened, oh, they asked you for a, a post-event survey, uh, or how did that happen? No, I believe Kirk called us and asked us how the ride went, oh. or Joe did. Yeah, uh, probably Joe, and and I was a little hot. I might have, you know, I might have told him exactly what I thought about how it went. <laughs> you know, nothing on him because no, you it's, know it's it, not his fault. Uh, but he's like, okay, they, they, they got with their local rep and they were able to bring one yeah. uh, to the shop and, and let us have it for a little while. And uh, Connie still liked the BMW the best, but yeah. when it came down to bucks, I mean, like I said, you were, the, the Super Adventure has everything on it. And if you configure, so, so back then, when you configured the GSA right. to be outfitted equally, mm-hmm. uh, there was no comparison. You were what? It's like four grand apart or something like that, wasn't it? Because it was probably what nineteen for the KTM sticker. The, the the KTM was twenty grand. Oh, okay. Uh, sticker, but this was a leftover sixteen, and it was late seventeen. Right. So I you could still that. get them in the crate. Yeah, uh, a leftover. Uh, so you remember when bikes used to be leftover? <laughs> Those don't exist anymore. <laughs> so I could, I could get it for like yeah. sixteen and change. Uh, <sighs> where you're looking similarly configured GSA for twenty six. Right, and they're they're not in the crate. <laughs> no, no, it was yeah. it, it was just a different situation. So I I couldn't not do the KTM because I figured. You know, even if I'm in for, you know, 60,000 miles instead of 120, you know, I saved a lot of money. Uh, you could have eight Russell Daylong seats, maybe even 16 Russell Daylong seats for that price. The, granted, maybe the GSA was probably a better choice for what we do. Uh, but, yeah. I, and, and again, 
uh, when my friends are giving me shit about bike choices. Uh, I'm like, okay, why is your bike at home in the garage right now? <laughs> it, there's, there's a certain aspect about your bike that I think uh, needs to call you to it. Yeah. It, it needs to be fun. There needs to be a giggle factor. There needs to be... And, 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 and that bike is all giggle factor. It it's, smiles per mile, man. It's, it's, it's super fun to ride. Yeah. It, it is funny that you said that. And it, because I've talked about it so much and, and I've been kind of playing out this scrambler. Like, what am I going to do with it this year? Like, I'm really getting into it. The way that I rebuilt the 250 last winter, that was my project. This winter is almost over, but like... I'm going to be closer to home and I'm like, I'm starting to get into this. Like I've wanted to do this stuff to the scrambler for years and just kind of stopped for various reasons, but that's it. People are like, you should just sell that thing. You whatever. I'm like, you don't get it. I love that bike. I love it. I, I got on it, went down the road after I fixed the, I fixed, you know, greased up the rear blade caliber yesterday or whatever. I was like, I just, I do. I giggle like an idiot. Like I just love this bike. So it's got, you a can't say no sound. to that. It's got a wonderful sound. It really does. It really does. <laughs> Uh, because of my awful commute, I'm I'm putting the loud pipes back on it this season because I am that like <laughs> I'm done with downtown traffic. So are you, are you going planning on commuting on that bike? Uh, it's funny because I didn't I didn't do it a lot last year, and I think it's just it's just adjusting to this new lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 wife doesn't see and understanding what it means to be with a wife that's you know that dealing with those challenges. Um, and I just adapting to 32 minute drive after having a 20 minute drive, it sounds really trivial, but like when you're dealing with a lot of life drama <laughs> and you add that into it, it's like, that is time I would have used to have gotten ready and everything would have worked better. But we've been pretty routine lately. Um, and it's been working out. I've been, the, the podcast went from being virtually dead to now here I am sitting here recording live with you. So that stuff's been good. Um, so that is what my goal is, is like, dude, to be doing 15,000 miles a year and how much I love that bike. And that's what I was, cause a buddy of mine who I'm really good friends with actually Craig, I think you've met him at some point. Anyway, he's like, I'm really surprised you've held on to that cause you've had it so long. And I'm like, I think the trick is, and I think the listeners will appreciate this. I have changed that bike and you've watched it just bit by bit. I've never clean sheeted it and thrown four or $5,000 at it or anything like that. Each piece has been incremental. And as I've done that, it changes the bike every time. And so that's what's wild about it is like I've done myself a favor by complete accident. Putting new bars on the bike changed the bike. Well, I remember when I put bar risers on it, it changed the bike so much that it took me three or four weeks to learn how to ride it again. Like I was like, I don't, I'm sitting on it wrong. Like I was. It just feels wrong. I, it was way, because yeah. it felt amazing off road, but on road, I was trying to figure out what to do with myself. And so when I changed the bars last year, and I've really not ridden it that much since then, it's the same thing. It's like I, my hand position is slightly different. It's slightly more comfortable. And obviously they're lighter, and that was the biggest thing. And they're black because I hated the chrome. It was, it was literally rusting, right? Um, but because I did each one of these changes incrementally, the bike has always evolved into something new. So it always feels a little bit new and there's always that familiar engine character, which is what makes me fall in love with the bike. That it's an issue that I really have that, that if it's a perfect bike, that's the issue with the ST, right? Like I'm like, I joke with you about buying it. Everything you tell me about the ST is perfect. And I'm like, I need to ride one. Cause I'm afraid that if it's soulless, I'm going, that's the perfect bike and I can't own it. 
because it, it's just, it, it, if it's a traditional Honda, there's nothing special about it. To some degree, the 250L was that. It was a great tool, but I was never in love with it. It's, it was always like the electric bike. It, it just got you there and you didn't realize how quickly you were moving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, super smooth. I, I, I'm a big fan of E4s. Yeah. Uh, and I really like the transverse V4. Uh, just, I, it was so much easier to work on. I mean, your yeah. valve covers are right there. Yeah. Uh, not that you ever had to, but when you check the valves again at 100,000 miles and nope, still yeah. don't need to adjust them. But they're, it's, it's easy to check. Uh, it was a great machine. And, yeah. and like I said, if anybody's looking, you can pick them up, you know, for literally nothing. That's those and FJRs both. I've yep. daydreamed about both of those bikes to do, go out to Colorado, burn around the pavement, yep. enjoy it, but not feel bad about doing, oh, tomorrow we're going to do 800 miles. <laughs> like, not even think about it. Yeah, it's not going to work up a sweat. Uh, no. <laughs> and that was, that was, that was funny. I mean, you would, you would have the best road, the best morning, the best afternoon, and just, you know, give yourself a workout on yeah. these these twisty roads out west and you know pull up to the stop sign your buddy pulls up on his st and he's like you know these bikes aren't working <laughs> <laughs> now you just ruined a back tire but you know realistically the bike's not working up a sweat uh, it's it is something else um you were talking about the 1290 and the character so in the vein of what I say I love about a bike, what really separates the 1200 GS, 1250, well no, it was 1200 GS back then. It was, 1200 GS yeah. versus the 1290 KTM for you. I was actually impressed with the, the GS power. Mm -hmm. uh, on paper, it was fairly underwhelming. It, yeah. had, uh, it had less horsepower than my ST at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and in comparison to the Super Adventure, it was a little fat, weight-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, for eight gallons of gas, it's actually shockingly light for folks that don't know. It's only like 565, if I remember correctly. It's lighter than the Tiger 1200. It's, yeah, it, the, the only thing that bumped it up was shaft drive. Yeah. I mean, realistically, uh, the, the geometry and the way that, that They've just been doing that bike for so long. It's, I remember hopping on it two up at AIM mm. and before I got out of the parking lot, so you're in this parade of bikes that's leaving. Yeah. And before I got out of the parking lot, I was standing on the pegs. Yeah. Just because it was so damn good. Yeah. Uh, just, just confidence in inspiring. Uh, but you get it out on the open road and you're playing around and it, it, it's fun. But it's not 160 horsepower. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And realistically, it's enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is. it's, it's more than enough. But but uh, uh, when I can do 10 grand less mm. and and get a little bit more power, a little bit less weight, okay, I got to screw around with the chain. But I'm familiar with that. I've done that yeah. my whole life. Uh, uh, it was. Uh, that was a choice. Always thinking this whole time that that you know, if nothing else comes out, I'm going to end up probably on a GS. Yeah. 
In the time that you and I have had this exact conversation from the original, you and I were probably riding through Kentucky, going to the scramble on the way down, the way back, whatever, we yeah. were on comms talking about it. I have ridden the GS again. And it's really odd because I rode Andy's at the Dragon. We were down, we're not at Deals Gap, but we're near there. And I rode that. And I was like, this is fun. It has a lot of power. I like the um, telelever front forks. I really like that. That's awesome to me. The way that it handles is really good. I love that it's so firm under braking. It's very confidence inspiring. But I felt bored on the bike because I'm used to such a visceral, you know, like you're talking about losing the fairing versus the ST and that doesn't bother you. That's a deal breaker for a lot of people. For me, tall windshields is usually like, meh, it's, I'd rather be in the air. Um, but I went to a demo day and I rode the Scramble 1200 that BMW makes. And I'm like, Oh boy, <laughs> I could do this. Um, and the, uh, they make an RT version of that, that I've like, if I could find mm -hmm. one of those, it's as peppy as this was Scramble 1200. And then eventually I rode the 1250 GS and I had a lot better time with it. The second time it was really odd to me how my taste had changed in the three or four years of only knowing the scrambler, not riding a whole lot of bikes mm -hmm. and having that experience on the GS and feeling how, um, encapsulated like numbed I was from the windscreen and the fairing but then go into a BMW test ride and I was like this engine has a lot more character than I realized it did I like sitting at the stop sign and revving the engine and feeling it tilt because of the way that it's a boxer engine that stuff really grabs yeah. me <laughs> that's that's good to hear it, it's um, really bizarre how I it really changed my attitude to it that it's like and lots of friends have told me um, that uh, you should go find an 1150 because they're cheap, and if you like character and simplicity, you'll like that one even more. So we'll see how that turns out for me. If yeah, I I'll, I'll probably be looking that way. Although uh, the new Explorer has, has made some major updates. It's, uh, it's currently the newest one in the class, isn't it? Yeah, and, and realistically, uh, the 1100 Africa Twins got to be in the game. Uh, they bumped up the size. So well, so for you, I, I cut you off in that thought. It's the playfulness of the KTM that hooked you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not necessarily the engine character itself. It's no, what the machine does. No, because you got to work for that. In, in a KTM, you're always shifting. Uh, okay. Uh, whereas on the ST, I, I mean, they're completely different. Oh, yeah. The ST had such a flat torque curve that, that you really didn't have to shift unless you wanted to. Four itty bitty cylinders on a V, in a V flayout. Yeah, it's, it's muscle everywhere. But, but this thing, you're gonna get the vibes and you're, yeah. you're always gonna be shifting. Now, you're gonna get the payback. Yeah. But, but you're really always shifting and it's even uncomfortable. It's like when you're hard in the corners, uh, and really playing, uh, it gets enough vibes to bother the wife on the back. I, I was curious because I knew you guys have been through some stuff, but you guys have now been out to some big trips mostly since I've talked to you. I talked to you a little bit at the rally last year. Um, yeah. But I was curious how have you guys, what did you do to fix to make, to make mom happy on the to back make, of the bike? To make this thing work. <laughs> she's, she's been to Dallas, Utah, uh, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho. And this is all leaving from Dayton. I want everybody to realize that. That's yeah. leaving here from Dayton and riding to Idaho on this bike. Yeah, that's, that's where she's been on this super yeah. adventure. Uh, it's got a sergeant seat on it, which helped a lot. 
up. The back seat really isn't meant for passengers yeah. on, on, on these bikes. They're just big dirt bikes. I was going to say, did we mention KTM makes yeah. dirt bikes? We should probably and, cover that. And, and she won't let me. Basically, I want to take a Sawzall mm -hmm. to all the, the, the hard parts that are behind the back seat. Uh, yeah. And then, and then take it back down to Sergeant and say, fill that up with seat. Uh, yeah. But she doesn't. She doesn't want me to do that. She knows basically. I'll just blink in a couple of years. It'll have too many miles on it, and we'll get something else. Uh, this is why your wife and my wife aren't allowed to talk to one another because you and I can't buy anything. Yeah. I, it's it's going to be a little while before we get the replacement. It's yeah. it's only got sixty thousand on it, so it's still new in this garage. It's it's, <laughs> it's yeah. <clears throat> It is it is the, the the newest thing in the garage, but it's still got less miles. No, it's got more miles on it than hers. So yeah, um, but yeah, it, hopefully it'll be the the original reason we got the two up adventure bike was we had planned to do this Alaska trip. Yes, a uh, bunch of stuff has gotten in the way of that trip. So so uh, uh, my buddy Kevin, who typically goes. I think he's went out west with us like 13 times. Yeah, uh, he couldn't go and wanted to go the next year, so we put it off for a year. Yeah, and then, and then he wasn't able to go. Uh, of course, we got the COVID stuff, and, right. and realistically, now the borders still shut down. To I forgot degree. about that. Uh, so that was that was still on the docket for this year, and is. The, the plan was, since we're semi-retired, to, you know, stretch the trip out a little right. bit and include, you know, everything we wanted to do. Uh, and figuring, you know, this is the perfect bike for it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to insert this question now. Sure. Is there a state you guys have not ridden to yet? Besides Hawaii? Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> so, you guys have ridden together in all lower 48 states. The motorcycles. Yeah. yeah. We've been two up okay. in every state. Uh, she hadn't, I'm not sure if she's been with me in Florida. She may or may not be missing anything. Viewer or listeners, please send me hate mail. <laughs> no, it, I'm pretty sure that, that I, I've been to Florida a few times. Yeah. Uh, I think she's been, uh, but we've, we've hit every other state, um, it, at least once. Uh, so the, the. The drive to go to Alaska is is still there. I've got I've got a little family up there, but uh, we're we want to treat it like we do every other state, and, yeah. and damn near hit every road in it, uh, which is pretty easy to do. Well, it's not easy to do. There's there's very few roads. Only so many choices <laughs> is the answer to yeah. this question. You have to fight off the pterodactyls, also known as mosquitoes. Oh, and, uh, and you are not the top of the food chain in Alaska by a long shot. <laughs> Plus, you got to do the 5,000 plus miles to get there. <laughs> <laughs> because you and I have been talking about Alaska for as long as I can remember. Because I want to go there so bad. Um, it dawned on me this year that when I was complaining about my new commute because we moved... That I'm like, what I drive just to work in 12 months is still not as far as if I drove from Dayton to Key West to Prudhoe Bay to Key West <laughs> to Dayton. I still drive further than that just going to work in a year's time. That's a long way. Yeah. 
15,000 miles to commute because I think it's like 13,500 or something like that if you if you do the math. I forget how it worked, but in, it, it, either way, I could hit Dayton, Key West, Purdue Bay, and Dayton in some variety and still not cover as many miles. I can drive across the entire country twice and not drive as far as I drive to work every day. And I don't have a long commute. But that, to me, that's the message, is that if yep. you love motorcycles and you love traveling, for God's sakes, travel. Because what you spend what you spent right. driving double that distance to work for how many years yeah. like think about the hours of your life that are just disappearing oh yeah in traffic that you hate <laughs> well and, and that's kind of how i made it uh, uh i made it sane or made myself be able to do it it's like everybody always asks me why i did it on a motorcycle it's like <laughs> Because I, I don't want to go nuts. Why yeah. would you do it in a car? You yeah. know, I'd be asleep the whole time. It, it just made it easier. It's, uh, I mean, this is relevant. I'm, I'm cutting off your story, and I apologize, but this is the thing that you and I are into. Chrissy got sick, and I stopped riding every single day. Um, and it's weird how, like, you're talking about riding 700 miles in a day and not thinking twice about it. You guys are going to do take a week trip and ride 5,000 miles. To someone listening right now, that's insane. To someone listening right now, they're probably saying, that's not even fun to me. And my message is, it's all about perspective, but you also have to work up to it. Yeah. <laughs> like You don't want to start there. Racing dirt bikes <laughs> and doing the dumb stuff that I do on rocks and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, this is fun to me. It's miserable to someone. I had to work up to this. And that's what happened to me, is I stopped riding to work every day. And it blew my mind how sensitive I became to the temperature by not being in it every single day. It blew my mind. Not riding That's in the rain true. changes yeah. you completely yeah. after not doing it for so long. For as hard as it is to get into it, it it falls off that fast. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and that's... To get back into shape to do what we had planned to do mm -hmm. on an Alaska trip is, is months and months of... of of real writing yeah uh to even be because because basically you you plan on doing 500 a day uh pretty much all the time yeah and and some of the days are really long so you know it stays light uh and there's there's plenty of gas you don't have to worry about that but that can get to you if you're not ready for it that's i'm worried about that um getting back into it that commuting every day like you did and at the time i was doing roughly that that uh you it's weird how you get in bike shape and the wind doesn't hurt your neck as bad with the helmet and you get used to the temperature but that's exactly it to take that stuff on I, it's weird to hit me just the other day so it's cool we're talking right now because i've been thinking about that but i'm like i'm so flabby in the street bike department right now <laughs> that it's like I'm not intimidated to get on my bike, but I'm like, I'm worried that this isn't going to be fun like it used to be purely because if I rode just to see my grandma, I'm going to get down there and be like, oh, I've been on the bike this long. <laughs> I go ride three hours in the woods and fall over and put it back on the back of the bike and leave, or the Jeep and leave. I'm but, sure the learning curve would be quick though. Hopefully. Muscle memory. Yeah. It, well, and a lot of that's in our heads. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's, it's amazing. People tell, because I still had the stock seat on the Tiger when I got rid of it. And I forgot about that. That's one of the first things that everybody changes. And it's like, oh, how do you ride that thing that many miles with that seat? It says iron butt right on the back. <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing because you can do 
an 8,000 mile two week trip. Yeah. And, and you know, on the front end, you might have a few days where you're uncomfortable and, and, and then, and then you just kind of get used to it. And, and, and then I guarantee you on, on those, those few last days, you're going to be sore. Yeah. What's, what's that about? <laughs> it's like, okay, you see that ending, you see that, that, that finish line. And, and you've paced yourself. Yeah. And, and, and now, now I'm sore again. Wait a minute. You know, I just did three 700-mile days in a row. And, you know. That's funny. Didn't, didn't make me sweat at all. And now, you know, I'm, I'm doing this 300-mile day, which is the last day. And my ass hurts. What's going on? That's funny. <laughs> I, I, I got more questions about touring, but I wanted to circle back to you were commenting on the KTM and already having discussions about the replacement. Is it purely because you've gone through enough bikes in enough time? Are you still enjoying that bike for every mile that it is, or have your eyes already started to look away to the next one? Uh, for both. Okay. Uh, uh, to, to answer that specifically, uh, I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to make uh, quick decisions, yeah. especially about, you know, something, something that, that big of a purchase, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I, I definitely overthink. <laughs> this is why we're friends. It's like, uh, uh, Hey, do you, can you imagine anybody that would have a spreadsheet to figure <laughs> out which, which new motorcycle it's, I, there might be a little dig there, but you haven't apparently watched the dual sport video yeah, yet. I or did. have you? I, I did. <laughs> but I, I probably still have the spreadsheet that, that narrowed down mm -hmm. uh, uh, and realistically to make a decision that is probably maybe three years out. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to start now yeah. just, just so I can kind of figure out what's out there. And then, uh, then if I can get a ride on those bikes to yeah. try to figure out what's going on. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the next bike, but not because I'm tired of this one. So you, you look at the field of options that are in this two-up sport touring, sport adventure touring yeah. category. Yeah, well said. And I, am I correct to say that you probably narrow down the competitors to, like, realistic statistics, and then let your heart choose the bike, the one that it likes the most. I'm I'm hoping the heart will be involved in the decision. Uh-huh. But uh so so in this last choice I came down to the BMW, the GSA versus the KTM. And yeah. and uh the heart played a role. This one was funner. Oh yeah. But the the cost difference between the two was the driver on that purchase. Uh that would have been an interesting, had it been a $1,000 difference, how if, that would have played out? If they were the same, I probably would have went for the GS because there are thousands of examples of big mile GSs out there. Yes. And, and show me an example of a super adventure that's got 100,000 miles on it. How soon do you want to book another podcast? We may, <laughs> we may be having a discussion it's, about that. It's thing. it's it's going to be that one probably. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they might be out there, but sure. I've not I've I've not found them. They, there must be quiet professionals that have yet to make the news. And <laughs> they'll ha it'll happen. But yeah. And and 
part of what played a role of me getting this bike yeah. uh, was honestly a uh, two-wheel driver. If you're familiar with uh, Mario oh. Orsini. You have told me about him, but I admit I've not looked up things directly. So he was sport touring. Yeah. Uh, I believe he had an FJR. Yeah. And then went this route. And, and he was in maybe two years ownership. Yeah. And uh, uh, a lot of information was out there about maintenance, uh, you know, what, they, what he liked about it, what he didn't. So yeah. there was a wealth of knowledge coming from his direction uh, about the bike in general where realistically there was nothing else out there right about somebody two up touring two up touring on yeah. you know a 1290 super adventure and for engineering super nerds one sample size is terrifying <laughs> it, it is but yes. it's better than zero yes yeah, sample size of one <laughs> is not very reliable but yes absolutely but i definitely thanks to him for putting yeah. that information out there it's i debated it at length um Overkill Andy, Andy Janix on the show, and him and I were talking about that, that I'm like, I'm in a weird world that when I am not worried about racing anymore, and I'm going to have to replace the 250L, the, the 350, the 250, one of the two dirt bikes I have is going to leave and will have to be replaced, and I'm struggling. KTM 500, KTM 690, CRF 300L, um, there's some other random stuff in there but those are the big competitors like which way do I go on that um, but around uh, the world Paul has done a lot on that 500 and that's it's the same story not yeah. a lot of people are doing it but it has been done but, so what's reliability been on the KTM in the past 60,000 miles how is that going thus far it's it's been rock solid uh, really I've had to adjust one valve yeah. uh, and I know that's a big dig that people have with KTMs is is having to adjust the valves the V-twin it happens and, and but one valve in 60,000 miles. Right. And so was it actually tight or how did you, how would I we believe, measure that on how much it needed adjustment? I believe it was loosening up. Is that right? Which is kind of scary. Well, that's what the Triumph does. You and I have talked about it. I don't know how your Tiger was, how much time you've actually spent adjusting those valves. I never had to. 112,000 miles believe and it. the valves on the Tiger never moved. It just burned oil. Which would you rather do? Put half a quart of oil in every two, three thousand miles, or adjust the valves every twelve. I'll adjust the valves. You'd rather adjust the valves than put oil in? Yes. <laughs> but I'm kind of the other way on this now. <laughs> but, but realistically, yeah. uh, if I have to adjust the valves, the same valve twice, yeah, uh, it's it's going to be probably looking for the next bike. Uh, if it's still moving. Then, then I get a wear pattern, and and right. it's like okay. Then I can kind of figure out what its life is going to be, and yes, I, I would want to let it go with enough life into it to where you know it's not going to cause a problem for somebody. That's interesting. Uh, it's funny because you and I have this conversation now about maintenance because you're you know the other guy that I love to talk to about it because we beat the shit out of stuff. I talked to a dirt bike guy recently, and he's of the mindset. He's been dealing with race bikes, still deals with race bikes. Yep. He's like, I just ride them until they won't start anymore. And then I rebuild it. But it's that's, a dirt bike. That's a, that's a different mindset. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a dirt bike. And, and uh, I may be wrong. Yeah. But I'm thinking the money to rebuild that 1290. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is, is substantial. Yeah, it's, versus uh, 350. It's really interesting that, that 
dirt bike culture, people that are in it and have been in it for life are very comfortable with taking engines apart and don't think anything of it. When we start talking about the street bike community and street bike listeners are listening now and they're hearing hundreds of thousands of miles on motorcycles and they're just, it's like miles, mind blown anytime you show up to a social event. Um, That, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. And to your point, like adjusting valves on a street bike does suck. And you could say that you're delaying the inevitable, which is what he says about dirt bikes. And he's not wrong. Um, It's just a different perspective, right? But how many more miles you get out of a small adjustment? (laughs) That's funny. That's that's what's important to me. I will measure the valve clearance every time and then track it. And if it's moving super slowly, you know, then I can kind of get, wow, I'm going to have to adjust that again in 60 more thousand miles. Yeah. Who cares? You right. know, yeah, that's that's great. Put yeah. the valve coverage back on and go to town. Uh, but if I had something that was moving uh, readily, I think the intervals are sixteen thousand. But I just end up doing it every winter, yeah, because uh, it works out. But but uh, if it was moving uh, quickly, so I adjusted it last winter, mm. and I was really nervous about this winter pulling it apart and seeing you know if they'd moved again and it had not so that's pretty pretty rad um, so you've had zero issues with it um which leads me to the next question if we're talking about hypermiling long distance stuff mm-hmm. we've talked about gps a lot how do you set up your new bike to go do thousands of miles in a week what do you put into it keeping the wife comfortable we've kind of covered a little sure uh that was that was pretty substantial with the ktm i had to move her one foot peg out to get it away from the 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 can uh i had to put a smaller uh silencer on it so you bought you bought i bought an acro a crop of it yeah um, and and because it was it was so much smaller than the original yeah uh and and then i was able to uh just put a spacer on her foot peg to get her heel away from the pipe did you guys remap it nope okay it's still got the cat in it okay so it may not be cooler but the air moving past it makes a big difference right well with the stock one her heels sitting on it yeah just um so yeah it's it's not meant to have somebody back there going from the mall to the bar that's what yeah. passenger pegs are for for a lot of people unfortunately but i put bar risers on it to start with yeah which which makes it nicer on the street yeah but uh and and when you're standing on the pegs it, it's nicer the bars are up to you but if you're actually in the position you need to be yeah. uh they're they're too close so uh, I took them back off, and realistically, uh, the the only problem I have with it is those super long days where you're standing on the pegs. Yes. Uh, a long time, the, they it kind of wears you out because you're still leaning down to the it, bars. To me, it's amazing because I've had this discussion. I've been watching uh, Chris Chris Birch. Birch. Yeah, Chris Birch. He's awesome. Really liked his series. I paid thirty five bucks to watch that. Um, I agree that bar risers are bad form. Unfortunately, like I'm in pain from racing and doing a lot of really big downhills. And, and I'll accept criticism. Maybe my form sucks. Maybe that's true. But 
it is one of those things to say that it's one thing to do a two-hour race and have bad form. It's something else to be doing adventure touring and you're doing it again tomorrow yeah. and the next day. And the Actually, next day. <laughs> conserving energy is a thing. Especially when you're used to riding that bike every day. Yeah. It's not, you know, there's a learning curve there and just, you know, uh, get over it. I will, I will probably end up with a little bit more riser in it yeah. than stock. Uh, but not a whole lot. I won't, I think I had an inch and a half like right. rocks on there and, and that's, that's really more than I need. Yeah. I, I bought a kit for my 350, which is pretty slick because it, it's up to 30 millimeters, but it comes in three different sizes. So okay. it's like a 10, a 15 and a five. So you can right. play around with that. That's a KTM. I don't know if it's the same. I doubt it, but I'm like, it's something worth seeing. I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> yeah, that could be the case. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so, so I did that, uh, just trying to think. Of course, uh, phone mount, so you can get your phone yeah. in front of you. Uh, audio's all in the helmet now, so you don't really have to worry about that. Yeah. A good GPS mount, um, so you can put your GPS in front of you. I think... Excuse me. I think the biggest thing I end up doing to a bike is I'll, I'll immediately put an accessory fuse block in it. Yeah. And and any accessories, uh, I'll run I'll run to that block. Yeah. Uh, so as far as lighting goes, I went. So this was a leftover 16. Mm -hmm. It was actually manufactured in 15, and it still had halogen lights in it. Yeah. So I went with. Uh, Cyclops mm -hmm. LED headlights, uh, the LED turn signals, which act as running lights. Yeah, that's rad. That's uh, one of the greatest te new technologies that's come to motorcycles. I mean, it's already there. It, we could talk about TFT Dash and all that other great stuff. And like, I'm a huge fan of the always on. Actually, Harley Davidson kills it because yeah. the signals yeah. are those yeah. like white halos mm -hmm. and then change to yellow to indicate left and right. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Anything that makes you be able to be seen yeah. uh, helps a lot. I ended up also putting a, a, a Cyclops light bar on the front that comes on at high beam. So, because I knew uh, this bike was a commuter as well, yeah. and I knew that the, the 4 a.m. trip to work, I, I kind of need as much light as I can get. How many deer do you count on the way to the office each morning? Man. <laughs> All of them? It's scary. It's, it's, it's scary. Uh, but this bike has better light on it than any bike I've had before it, uh, both in the front and in the back. That's good. Uh, what else is done to it? I uh, put a skid plate on it because uh, after one of our trips out west, we noticed a big ass dent in the header pipe. So wow, uh, I ended up putting a bigger set of uh, crash bars on it that, that extend upward yeah. a little further, and that was mainly for uh, we end up doing a little gravel when yeah. we get out west, and and. Just a stupid fall down or anything right. like that. Uh, typically, with low crash bars, you end up hurting stuff up top. Mirrors, yeah. uh, uh, levers, yeah. you know, stupid stuff that can really ruin your day. Uh, so I put those higher bars on there to help that. I put bark busters on it uh, to help that as well. Oh, you've got, like, 
using bark busters as in the brand, like real aluminum yeah. backed bark yeah. busters. I didn't realize you did that. You didn't do that on the Tiger, did you? No, I did not. Yeah. The Tiger, the Tiger still had the stock plastics, and it was working to its credit. I, that's it what worked amazingly well. People criticized me about that choice, and I'm like, I know so many Tiger owners that have had major falls. Oh yeah, and have not broke levers. So I bought those. You and saw had that them on thing the bounce off hard yeah. rocks. <laughs> Dude, that day we were there. <laughs> I'll never forget how hard the dirt was that day. It oh, was man. like ice. We both tapped a rear brake, and it was like, um, we're not slowing down. Nope. <laughs> What else? I think that's about it. I see Rottweiler from over here. What's that? Oh, I ended up doing the, the airbox and the SAS delete. Uh, yeah. Just an amazing amount of, of hardware that you can strip off these. And then, yeah. and then you're left with, a, with a, a dirt bike style air cleaner that you can clean out and put back on. I didn't realize you were a fan of that. Because I'm really on the fence. I very much like paper filters for street bikes, but I appreciate them for dirt bikes. In that it, makes sense. In the right situation, yeah, I do. Uh, the The main thing I wanted was the SAS delete and the fuel yeah. dongles. Uh, the fuel oh. dongles on this uh, made it so nice. It was so lean going through. I didn't even really notice how bad it was yeah. going through town. Uh, it was typically fairly jerky and lungy yes uh at low speeds and i attributed that to the chain just thinking you know okay as much as i stretch a chain you know right. that's what i'm going to get uh i changed those fuel dongles and it just smoothed right out so ktm no some aftermarket company sells something that you plug into the ecu that that changes the mapping you plug it into let me let me figure this out I think you plug it into, uh, you take the oxygen sensors out. Oh, yeah. And you plug them in there, I believe. Interesting. Uh, Is it Rottweiler again? Yep. Yeah. That's pretty rad. It's, I mean, and it, it basically replaces the low end map. Yeah. Evens it out a little bit. Uh, and, and it just, it just richened it up and and made it not surge. Yeah, it. Everyone that's ever rode my scrambler says that they're like that thing's kind of. It's funny because they tiptoe around it. I'm like really snatchy on open. They're like, right. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I ride this bike like an asshole all the time because it sucks to that ride tiger at was slow the same speed. Way. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to ask you about the tiger. I forgot about that. Did you have the um, the stepper motor get stuck on you mm -hmm. on that thing? You just. What, I forget what you had to do, like open it, close it, open it, close it, turn on, turn off, or something like that, and it would finally catch. I'm trying to remember. I had a system yeah. that worked. Uh, I think that was a first-gen Tiger issue. and It was. It, it didn't seem to phase you a whole lot. You're like, I'll be, give me one second. You did whatever you did to the throttle. and All right, cool, we're there. I, Man, I don't recall what it, I did. It was I had sequence. a little system that ended yeah. up working. It was a famous Mario Brothers, like, left, right, left, right, up, down, A, B. Like, like you did the thing. And it, it would work every time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was, I saw you do it a couple times. Like, oh, I've seen him. I've seen that on the internet. I know what he's up to. So, it's yeah, I forget. I forget what it was. But there is a fix out there. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's not a fix, though. It's every time that it does it. I believe it's a corrective factor. <laughs> I, I believe you have to give it a little throttle and then shut it off yeah. or, or something like that, or just maybe restart it. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it is. 
but that was an issue. Yes, it was a pain in the ass. Um, God, I feel like there's still so much ground to cover. What What is your favorite state to ride in since you've been in 48 of them? Idaho. Why is Idaho special? Traffic is good. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's getting worse. A lot of people are, are, are finding Idaho. Yes, I heard uh, about that. The, the, the rolling hills, but they're not really hills, they're mountains. Yeah. Uh, uh, just, just the scenery is, is awesome. One side of the state, you've got the Rockies uh, around Lewiston and north of Lewiston. Uh, you got Spiral Highway, you've got uh, what is right outside of Lewiston. I'm trying to remember. My geography's not good. Not too important. People have maps. I've got a list. <laughs> he can't resist. Bucket list. Basically, Connie found a website that has road signs. Describe and, road signs. Uh, so, like the... Oh, yeah. Literally, purchase, that's, that's Blue road Ridge signs. Parkway road yeah. signs. Yeah. But you can purchase any road sign that you want. They will make it, or, or if it's existing. Oh, my Lord. How and, much are those? Because I need one. And I, I want to cover that wall with road signs from our favorite roads. Absolutely. Uh, so, I, you know, Connie's like, okay, what do you want? So, I sat down one day and tried to remember... You know, I went state by state and looked at at my favorite roads. Uh, I forget what the website is, but I know you've that she just has given birth to a bucket list item for me, so thank you. And it, it's cool because you're in your garage. We, I, you know what we did to the other garage? We've got pictures of yeah, where we've been. That's what I was thinking of it's, myself. I mean, you sit down in your garage and take a breath, you know, and look around, and, and there's a memory, you know, yeah. of something you've done or something you want to do. Uh, I mean, I need, I need Pilot Road. I need Kentucky 77. I need Spass Creek. Yep. I need all those with photographs under them. And, and they can be like, you know, regular road signs. If they yeah. exist, you know, you can copy them, of course. Yeah. Or, yeah, I'm sure it would be pricey. I don't have a problem taking photographs of those signs with my bike next to them. So that on the west side, so midway up, around Lewiston, you've got Spiral Highway, which is Highway 49 in the yeah. song, uh, which is basically the old main highway, but it was replaced with a four lane. Yeah. Well, they, they kept it paved and they've kept it nice. Wow. Uh, so you can really play. It's a, it's a fun, fun road. I've yeah. Got so a, the commuters will get on the highway, the four yeah. lane, and you can go take the old way and enjoy topography. And it, in the middle of the summertime, it'll be a 120 or 129. There'll be bikes everywhere. That's, I mean, that's okay though, right? Bike traffic is nothing like car traffic. It's even the dragons. It's, like, it's not a problem. Yeah. And, uh, we've been there a bunch of times and I usually, I'll usually go up and there's a lookout up top and I'll drop Connie off and then I'll go back down and come back up. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, how many miles are we talking here? One way maybe 15 miles okay so very similar to deals gap yeah. in that way yeah it's it's and and you can see most of it from that overlook that's pretty rad uh, it's it's a super cool road yeah uh and within 
within you know a quarter day ride yeah. here at Rattlesnake Pass, which is is the Zoom Zoom Road from the uh, Mazda commercials. <laughs> yeah. If you if you've seen that, it's been a minute. I don't have oh. live TV anymore, but yeah, I remember. Same here. <laughs> Who has live TV? You mean I have to wait for stuff to come? It's like, you need you need that list. Uh, yeah, yeah, you do, uh, or I do. That's this year is the year that we're idling a little bit, but I'm I'm looking forward to taking the shackles off in the near future. So it's about to be on. So. I got B, I got GPX files from every state for you. <laughs> I believe it. I'm not gonna lie. I want to go. I want to go vacation with you and Connie on the road for a week. I bet we'll have a blast. It's it's amazing. We were. We were talking about that the other day in the, the process of, uh, so at a rally, we found this guy, Kevin, and we ended up sitting down drinking a beer with him, you know, yeah. uh, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And, and we kind of hit it off and it was, it was funny because he told us later on that, uh, he called his wife that night, uh, which is, which is typical she does not like to go to the rallies with yeah. him and does not doesn't like to ride motorcycles in general yeah which is which is typical uh and he told his wife that i met people like me <laughs> <laughs> which is which is kind of scary yeah. <laughs> but uh that's uh, funny and i think it was about a year later we did our first trip out west with yeah. with with kevin and and it's it's really difficult to find someone that you uh, that you can travel with. How do you do that? It's it's super difficult. I mean, you need you really need to start at at your local rides. You know, because yeah. you need to ride at kind of roughly the same pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to kind of like the same things mm-hmm. within reason. Sure. Uh, you need to be able to stand each other. <laughs> yeah. Because realistically, on a two-week trip, there will be, you know, rough days and that kind of thing. So you it's gonna need rain. to like each other. Yeah. yeah there, there that brings be... emotions out. <laughs> <laughs> Adventures kind of suck while you're having them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. At times. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to find someone that matches up mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're not a 20 something and you're kind of set in your ways it's a good point uh, it, it, it does get difficult it's a real difficult. thing so uh, meet meet people dip your toe in the pool a little bit yeah see how it matches up that's good advice well and it's I mean realistically you ride in groups a lot you, me, or people do? No, you, you do. I mean, you. Oh yeah. You typically ride with groups uh, a lot. You're doing a lot more off road than you used to do. Dramatically. Uh, uh, so that kind of, if you're looking for somebody to ride like out west with, uh, if you're riding in in group rides a lot. Yeah. Okay, you can figure out skill wise who mm. you can ride with. Because you kind of need to match up because if you're doing a day ride, anybody can ride with anybody. You just need the right mindset. Yes. Uh, you, there's light gonna, at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. If, if you're going to ride 8,000 miles in two weeks, there's 
you're going to have to be able to make that schedule. You know, yeah. you're going to have to be able to do those four or 500 miles off road and, and you're going to have to keep up that pace. Yeah. Now, if one person wants it and the other person doesn't, then you're going to have to meet in the middle or you're going to have to find somebody different to ride with. Because it, uh, it's not worth burning a friendship to, to get somebody, you know, to ride with on long term. It, this stuff happens and it happens organically and it's beautiful. Yep. It also happens organically and it, it's climactically bad. Which, as you know, that's why I do the rally the way I do. Trying to help people get to meet other people and make yep. that mesh up. And... I always feel like a jerk because it's people like, well, can we ride with you? Whatever. I'm like, look, it's not that I don't want you to ride with me. I'm just afraid that the flavor of fun that I'm about to serve yeah. may not be your cup of tea and it may be awful by comparison, and <laughs> which 8,000 miles in a week is two, three years worth of riding for some people. Yeah. It, it is a different flavor. It, yeah. It's like, okay, this is my vacation. This is what I want to do here. <laughs> If, if you want to do the same thing and you're capable of doing the same thing, great. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's find out and, and, and do that. But yeah, you can't meet somebody for the first time and, and yeah. take them on one of your routes <laughs> in Kentucky and, and, yeah. and come up with being friends afterwards. It's, <laughs> yeah, not everybody's. And it's not like I'm like, oh, I put on these big routes. No, it's just... It, Taste is very variable, and yeah. me personally, I like long days, and I like topography. You do. <laughs> That's that is incredible advice, though. It's definitely something to think of. So it's 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 rare. <laughs> uh, uh, Kevin and us, uh, I don't know how we ended up mm -hmm. hitting it off, and and. And being so compatible as 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 writers, uh, Kevin had done a lot more writing. His typical summer, because he didn't he didn't have really anything he did at home. Mm -hmm. He would work and then he would ride. Yeah. So he was he was pulling down forty thousand mile years, which is astronomical for yeah. so many people. And he had done a BBG before you know we did a saddle sore. Yeah. So he was kind of, you know, a, a rider we were looking up to uh, as far as accomplishments yeah. go, uh, which ended up, you know, fitting well. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I'd love to, like, make a quiz um, because I've, I've talked about on the show, I've talked about with other people that I want to write an article about motorcycle archetypes. You're one of those people. And... We speak the same language because you're the, you're the person that is like, there's a, they make a joke about it, right? Like 200 miles is a good day before breakfast. <laughs> you know, like that, those, I know these people, you know, there's more of those people than I can imagine, but like, I like that. And, and if I'm doing a pavement ride, that means I'm getting on the bike as it is like dawn. Like, yeah. like this is just light enough that I'm not freaked out about having the right lighting or seeing reflections on my screen. Um, and I want to ride all day and I might take like a long break for a good lunch at like Miguel's or wherever it would be. And then I want to ride until it's dark again. Like we might stop to take pictures, but I, I don't have plans to take my boots off. Like, like it's not, it's not happening. I'm not getting out of this gear unless we're stopping for some awesome food. Like it's not yep. happening. I'm going to eat ice cream with my helmet on half the time. 
that's a good day. Uh, right, but that's what I'm saying is that that is a for me that's a pavement ride. That is a really <laughs> yep. good pavement ride. But that is not that's yeah, misery. I got two for things to say about that. You're sick, and that is a good day. <laughs> Yeah, it's for some people they would rather relax, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think motorcycles are social events for most people, um, but to me, I think you nailed it on the long trip. That for some people, the staying on schedule and trying to like quantify, describe what it means to be on schedule because it's not like you guys are hard and fast, but it's also like. We can only drag ass and only make so many extra photo stops or, or we won't get through. We won't make yeah. it to whatever it is at the far end of this trip that that's the big destination we want to see. And that's, that's, that's funny you, you bring that up. That was, that's always my job on the trip. <laughs> Keep time. And, and uh, okay, Connie's got the route. Yeah. And, and Kevin usually follows. And, and uh, my job is the pace. Yeah. But the... The, the pace is to get where we wanted to go that day yeah. and to the hotel at a reasonable hour. Uh, and what I mean by a reasonable hour for us, typically out west, we want to be to the hotel like, like before 6, yeah. before the animals start to come out, yes. definitely before dusk. Right. Uh, uh, because as it cools off, uh, we're typically out there like in August. As sure. it starts cooling off... Uh, you're going to start seeing uh, bears, grizzlies, and moose. <laughs> yeah. It, it, or, or mostly, you know, pronghorn and stuff like oh, that. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, so you, you're, you're going to see them and elk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You come around the corner and a bunch of elk are in the middle of the road. You kind of pay attention. <laughs> uh, beautiful. But, but you know, yes. you, you'll notice how beautiful it is when you get stopped. Most <laughs> deadly things in nature are also beautiful. It's really weird. Copperheads are actually gorgeous while terrifying to yeah. most people. <laughs> I enjoy seeing the pictures. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, no. a, not it in the trail in front of us. Yeah. But, so. but yeah, that, everybody kind of has their, has their role. And mine is to kind of keep track of how far we need to go yeah. and and what kind of pace we're doing. Uh, so it might seem that I'm dragging them or it, it, I mean, you're, you're, you're with this group for a long trip. Yeah. So, so, uh, you, you gotta be friends and you gotta, yeah. you gotta accept each other as they are. That that's, I think that's probably the reality. I, I think what ends up happening, uh, and it, this is relationship advice by accident. When you don't tell people that you're getting tired or that this is normally fun, but for today, for some reason, I'm not having fun, yeah. by not being up front with everyone, I think it leads to the climactic explosion of Most definitely. that you guys are riding too fast, we're, we're stopping too much, we're not stopping enough, I had to pee three hours ago. <laughs> like yeah. that's Those are when you, know, you have the breakdowns. So yeah, being open enough that both parties know who they are and are, yep. are not ashamed or afraid or have any worry about offending their friend that they tell their friend how they really feel. Well, and, and to that point, everybody's, it, everybody's in a different place in their head. Yeah. Uh, you know, throughout the day even. Yeah. Uh, uh, so sometimes you can pop back on the bike 
you're you're you know off the off the edge of Pikes Peak, you can pop back on the bike and jump right back into the curves, and you're yeah. good to go. Uh, where other times you pop back on the bike and you need a little minute to get in your head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, the 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 most important thing is that you're on your pace. Yeah. At at all times, and if it. Kevin and I had a really have a really good rapport. Uh, I know Kevin's not going to ride faster than Kevin wants to ride. Those are good friends to have. And, and yeah, it's it's like, and, and that's probably the best trait yes. that you can find in a riding buddy is they're going to do their own pace uh, whenever and trust and trust you to do the same. Yeah. Uh, so you don't you don't really have to worry. I don't have to worry about Kevin if he's. If he's not up to the pace, I'll catch him at the next corner and we're good. Yep. I don't have to worry about him, you know, camping or anything. Yeah, yeah no one's upset. No one feels left behind. Nobody nobody feels like they're dragging anybody. That is a good it's thing. It's not a contest. Yeah. I, I do love it when I'm in a good group of three or four riders and we go out and we all get to ride at whatever pace we like to ride at. And we just wait at the next stop sign. Everybody catches up. Yep. And we get back to camp opening beers and just talk about what a great ride it was. Yeah. And nobody cares who went how fast. No, it's not a contest. Yeah. It's like, did you have a good day? Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. That's rock solid. Definitely that. So we're near the wall. What is your favorite motorcycle of all time, whether you've ridden it or not? That's a good question. It's your own criteria. Probably. I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, the ST thirteen hundred just wow. because of what it showed me. You know what I mean? Uh, realistically, that is the bike that uh, we started doing big trips on. Yeah. And and not that it's such a better bike than any of the other bikes that we've had. It, it's a rock solid, great bike. Don't get me wrong, but uh, that's when the social portion of m- me and Connie, yeah. which is Connie, uh, talked me into actually starting to go to some rallies and see, you know, yeah, see what the rally thing was all about. Uh, we were on STs and it's an ST club and, and all that kind of thing. So that was cool. Yeah. That could have very well been a GS, and we could have been to, you know, BMW rallies. But it was just kind of how it happened. Mm. Uh, Now, do I think it's the most capable bike I've ridden? No. (laughs) Uh, I I think I'm riding the most capable bike I've ever had right now in the Super Adventure. But uh, do I have the same memories on that? that I have on the ST now. Not yet. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Because I think, am I correct to say that I, you see motorcycles as tools? They're, they're, they are exactly a tool. But to me, it's neat knowing you and knowing that you will replace a motorcycle because it needs replaced. There's not a lot of emotional attachment, but you've experienced a major life change because of that tool yeah. and love it for it. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's kind of funny that that, that uh, we've we've called them tools, 
yeah. for for years and years, and and you can get attached. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Ask me how I know. <laughs> I, I've never named a bike. I've, <laughs> I, have, I have never gotten to that point. I feel attacked. <laughs> but realistically, no. you you end up putting a lot of miles on a bike, and and then uh, this this is the 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 first job of my bike is a vacation tool. Mm-hmm. That's my transportation on all of our vacations. Uh, if it's not rock solid reliable, it's gone away. Uh, I'm going to get a different tool. Boxes uh, go unchecked. Yeah, it, it and that's I it can be cold about that, but that bottom line, that's what it's for. Yeah. And and if it's not doing that, and I don't have the warm fuzzy that I can hop on that and go to Vegas or wherever, uh, I'm going to get something different. Uh, but. Uh, I think it's the experiences on the ST that that have to hold it above the rest, at least at least for a while. That's fantastic. So, anything you want to leave listeners with besides what you just said? Motorcycle philosophy. I I am glad that my wife talked me into going. I'm I'm not a real social person. Yeah. By nature. Uh, but I'm glad that my wife talked me into going to uh, that ST event. Uh, we've met so many nice people and and so many good people. Uh, so if you're even if you're not social, get out there. There's there's groups around all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, ride with ride with them. Uh, Learn what the the old guys got to teach. Uh, teach the young guys if you're the old guy and just not social. Uh, have fun with it. It it's it is a social thing. Yeah. But I think even more importantly, there's so much to learn out there. It's like I've been riding for well over five hundred thousand miles, and I'm learning almost every day. Yeah that I'm riding. Uh, and I think, I think everybody needs to. I love it. And with that, we will catch the listeners down the road.